Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. He's back. He's alive. He's jet lag. Jake Query with us here on this Thursday morning, fresh off of 22 hours of travel. Well, here's the thing. It's not supposed to be 22 hours, to be fair. Uh, to the airlines, but when I had booked our trip back, it was Barcelona to JFK, New York, obviously, which, by the way, has been remodeled, and like LaGuardia, which I was there over the summer, uh, I was impressed. JFK, at least the terminal I was in, was like it looked brand new. It was nice. Um, but our flight was supposed to be, we got into JFK at like, I, I don't know, two in the afternoon, and we were supposed to fly to India at like 5 and get here at 7 p.m. And a while ago, I mean like three months ago, I got a thing from the airline saying, your flight's been changed. The 5 o'clock is now 8 p.m. Fine. Except for that you land at 2 and you have six hours to kill at JFK. Oh, boy. Yeah. So And, and at that point, you know, we got up at 7 a.m. Barcelona time to go to the airport which is two in the morning here so basically you wake up at two o'clock in the morning indianapolis time and then land in indianapolis at 11 p.m so 21 hours something like that but uh but anyway good to be back and man you guys had plenty to talk about uh, plenty to <laughs> just, talk about uh, i was i was staying in touch with it and i'm like man i mean just non-stop something different every day right you a soap opera guy uh you know what i in when I was in college, which is probably partially explains why I'm still in college, uh, I watched General Hospital. I got yeah. addicted to General Hospital. I think my mom was a big Days of Our Lives fan. <laughs> I, I can I don't vivid think any, memories of the hourglass. There are no soap operas left on network television, right? Didn't the last one get moved to Peacock only or whatever? Boy, that's a great... I think that's right. I don't know. Well, I know, Mark, I was looking at you for the Peacock sound. I oh. mean... See, I'm a jet lag. Mark's too. a little <laughs> off his game. He hasn't been in that chair. I guess. In a while. Um, that's I feel like I'm new here. That's a little disappointing to hear, but you know, if they want to run it back with hard knocks, I believe West 56 would provide a lot of drama for him. Yeah, no question. I mean... Yeah, from, from afar, Jake, you had to be like getting off of a tour bus, and you know, obviously you were texting us a little bit, and I'm sure checking somewhat of social media. You had to be like, what? Yeah, totally. I, You know... First off, the one thing about being in Europe, and I know I'm very lucky to have been able to do that, but the one thing that is very surreal is the time difference because you completely forget all the time that as you're out and about doing stuff, like people are just waking up here. So five hours, right? It was actually, they changed. They went through whatever, daylight saving or whatever while I was there. So when I got there, it was a six-hour time difference. It is now a five-hour time difference. Um, that will be a six-hour time difference once we change here in like a week. But, Sunday. Yeah, so most of the time as I was in late afternoon or getting ready to get a dinner is when like you guys were just getting off the air or things were happening. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, what? I mean, it was literally every day it seemed like something different. And you know, clearly to me, What's interesting is the Pacers in this town are going through a total rebuild and basically, and they're basically saying like, listen, just be patient with this because we're going through a rebuild. 
I haven't been here for the last week, so you guys tell me if I'm wrong, if there was something said that I missed. But the Colts are going through a rebuild and trying to act to people like they're just seemingly keeping things afloat for this season. It's a, Once you got rid of Hines, that showed me, okay, this is a rebuild. Or a retool probably is a better way of saying it. Yeah, we're going to play some Naheem, on, Naheem Hines audio a little bit later. You know, Jake, I think him and his representation came to the Colts and said, I'd like to leave. That's got to be humbling. I mean, we're talking Naheem Hines, one of the guys that they talked up more than any other right. this past offseason, and yet not happy, feels like he's not being utilized to that extent. Well, he's right about that. Um, yeah, he's certainly accurate when you look at those numbers. Um, Jonathan Taylor appears to be iffy for this week. We can chat about that. We've got a pretty good lineup today. Thad Mata is going to join us around 8.30. Butler's had two exhibition games. They've got uh, New Orleans on Monday for their regular season opener. Scott Agnes going to join us in the 8 o'clock hour. Mike Reese, who covers the Patriots for ESPN.com at 9. And Zach Kiefer, also in the 9 o'clock hour. A bigger fan of Spain or Italy? Uh, here's what's. By the way, we had that question on the pop quiz. What countries is Jake on Jake's itinerary? Uh, what did the guy guess, Mark? Manchester and United Kingdom. Manchester and United Kingdom. Yeah, well, we had a are... really interesting pop quiz. Well, he first guessed that. <laughs> now that I think about it, I my, my hint was <laughs> my hint was they're good at soccer, and he guessed. And I said European. They're good at soccer. He guessed Brazil. <laughs> Well, we also whipped the pop quiz off up in like two minutes because we realized that Scotty was out. Right. We, is Scotty out today? Yeah, we're going to have to do that again today. Oh, no. I got a couple questions. I mean, hell, we had a historic night in Major League Baseball. so I brought a gift for Scotty. Yeah, how about that? A combined no-hitter, um, which we'll get to, obviously. What is interesting to me, Kevin, that I realized, Barcelona is amazing. I, I mean, that is that has to be, if it's not the coolest city in the world, it's way up there. Now, I mean, obviously, I haven't been to a lot of them. But the fascinating thing about Barcelona, it is an international city. There was very little feel. When I was in Barcelona, at no point did I think to myself, I'm in Spain. First off, it's kind of an interesting deal, to, to not to get to whatever here on the rabbit hole, but what I learned, Barcelona is in basically Catalon or Catalonia, which is, for lack of a better phrase, Texas, right? And that's an area that there has been discussion about them seceding from Spain or they want their independence. So you don't see like Spanish flags and things of Spain all over to remind you what country you're in. And most of the food in Barcelona was Italian, like Italian restaurants. But I did have Spanish dishes while we were there. Italy, when we were in Florence, it is very obvious that you are in Florence, Italy. I mean, it's very obvious you're in like Italy. Like high end? Uh, old. Just, I mean, beautiful. Like exactly what it, Florence, Italy looked like a Vegas casino that is simulating Italian, Tuscany, like, you know, little villas and condos and whatever else. But then the, the old area of Florence is i mean it's really old like you you know we went to the top of the duomo as they call it which is the dome of the cathedral in florence which was finished in 1494 um we had we went to a mall near near columbus's correct exploration Uh, they have a huge statue of columbus there because barcelona is where he was received once he came back um 
Not sure if that was where he was trying to go. I have no idea. We know what happened on the way out. Um, the There's an old bullfighting ring that is now a mall. They repurposed it into a mall. And so you're walking around this mall and you're like, the, the food court of the mall is where like the bullfighting took place. And it's like, well, that's kind of weird. But I mean, the history is is amazing. But in terms of Italy, we were only in Florence for um, two nights, three days. But the weather is per. I mean, it. Italy to me looked like the Bay Area of Northern California, and Barcelona to me looked like the the areas of Southern California on the beach. But the weather was like California in both places. It was seventy two and perfectly sunny and clear every day. Well, shockingly, you're actually coming back to that weather. I saw that. Thank goodness, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, Halloween was good weather earlier in the week. Um, looked like it was going to rain, but stopped right before the trick-or-treating action. So, yeah, this first week in November, uh, not too bad. On the Colts' front yesterday, again, Jonathan Taylor did not practice due to an ankle injury. No Dennis Kelly either, so that will be something to monitor. Could we see Bernard Ryman back in the starting lineup this weekend? You know, it's wild, Jake, that it's Colts-Patriots week, and that's like the 13th like most important topic you know I, I was thinking about this too matter of fact we were talking about it this morning just before we went on the air there have been games in the past not many of them where Colts Patriots was where you kind of forgot that that's you know another of, of the history of the rivalry so to speak remember the game Kevin you would know better than I your memory is is sharper on this kind of detail than mine I, I want to say like around probably 2015 or 16 somewhere in there where the Colts went to New England on a primetime game and they were like a 14 point underdog and hung around for like a, a couple of quarters and then it got away from them. I think Luck was not playing. I don't think it was a hassle back here. Does that make sense? They had a Thursday night game with Luck. Uh, they were really banged up. This would have been, I think, Reich's first year. Um, boy, I don't recall them. Maybe it was 2014. Uh, I, I would think Luck would have been under center. Um, one of the weirder games that I remember out there was 2011. They finally turned from Painter to Orlovsky, and Orlovsky like let him back. And at one point, they had an onside kick to potentially tie the game. They haven't won out there since the Super Bowl season, so you got to go to 06 for the last time they have won a regular season game. Wow, that's amazing in Foxborough. And I feel like this is going to be the trend for a while coming up. Uh, 39 and a half, the over under for Sunday. That would be the smallest in the NFL this week. First okay, one to 20 wins. I'm looking at it here. It would not have been 21. I, really? Is this the only... They've only played... They played the Reich's first year, right? 2018? Does this say notable game? I'm looking at the game results. Oh, here we go. Notable games. I was going to say, I'm like, I, it seems like they played more than just these playoff games. So, yeah, I'm... It feels New England as well, though, Kevin. Like, if you're a New England radio show, the morning show. Do we know the morning show in Boston, Mark? Um, Darkest like, day in Boston history. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how excited are they about talking Patriots at this point? Are they talking strictly... They have won three of four. Celtics, you know, I mean, they're excited because you got on your Larry Bird shirt. They have won three of four. You know, the game that was close, honestly, Jake, until the play happened was the fake punt game. That was a one-possession game. Now, that, that game was here. Uh, but, yeah, Mac Jones has been a bit iffy this year. Again, New England from a defensive standpoint. 
that would be their strength. Uh, watch Bill Belichick's press conference yesterday. I'll bet that was a barrel of monkeys. I'll tell you what. You type, talk about emotion filled for 16 minutes. Um, he's obsessed with DeForest Buckner. He thinks the Colts special teams unit is outstanding. Um, and he feels like running quarterbacks have given them issues this season. So he's worried. The Which Greg Justin H- Fields did that, right, Mark? Yeah, yeah, he did. Granted, Gre- Justin Fields is a little different runner than Sam Ellinger. The uh, the Greg Hill show from six to ten on Boston Sports Radio. Seven to ten, Greg Hill. Nope. six to ten, Mark. Six to ten. That sounds oh. like a politician here. Is there Greg Hill and also there's <laughs> Toucher and Rich on the other station? Toucher and Rich. They're also six to ten. That sounds like a an Boy, that first HR disaster. Not <laughs> ideal, right? There. Wow. Maybe it's too sure, but it looks like yeah. To let's me. go with that one. I think the old pronunciation. I think it's touche and rich, right? Touché? So should they should they have kept Christian Javier in last night? You you know me. I think if you got the no no and you want to be pulled, then you have to start throwing with your other arm. I mean, you have to the, stay in the game. What inning did they pull him? He went six, ninety-seven pitches through six. I, I mean, two walks. I think you keep him in just to preserve the rest of the arms around him. What were they up at the point that he came out? Was it the full 5 nothing? I, I, I think it was 5 nothing, right? So at some point, you take him out. I mean, at some point, you, you, you say, I'm going to leave him in just to preserve everybody else's arm if we don't have to go to other people and can keep the... Because what the Astros have to hope here is that... And I mean, I, this isn't going to be the case, I guess, anytime soon, but... You know, if there's some 17 run marathon game and, and you know one of those where they've man they've run out of pitchers here da 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 in the in a seven game series, I just think that you try to preserve as many arms as possible. Yeah, they scored five in the top of the fifth, all five, um, and then pulled Javier after that. Three relievers each went uh, one inning to combine for the no hitter. So I that was, was was that out of rotation for him to start. Well, I think he's kind of their fourth guy, right? Because Verlander, Framber Valdez, and then McCullers went last night or uh, two nights ago and got absolutely shelled. So I, I don't think this was like a because I saw some people saying like you know kudos to Dusty Baker for for making that start. I guess they could have gone Verlander probably. They they, they could have gone with him on short rest. Verlander will go tonight, game five. Noah Syndergaard will be on the mound for the Phillies with that series at two two. Jake, I was. I was shocked to see, and maybe it's because I have these vivid memories of Roy Halladay's no-no against the Reds in the NLDS a decade ago. <laughs> I um, remember it well. I can picture exactly where I was in Bloomington watching that. That, last night, and Don Larson. That's it. I, I know. It's for crazy, no hitters it? in the postseason of and Major League history. That's the first time for a combined no-hitter in postseason history, right? That's shocking to me, right? I would agree with that because especially... You know, there have been eras, you know, the the dead ball era and different eras where you would assume. I mean, I'm surprised that, like, you know, Cy Young didn't twirl like 11 no hitters in the postseason back in, you know. Right. I mean, hell, did Babe Ruth throw a no no in the 20s? Like, right. I mean, right. I, I just feel like the history of baseball obviously didn't start yesterday. But so. it's turned out the one fun thing here is for a World Series, and I don't want to speak for everybody, I'm sure baseball enthusiasts will tell me different. But to me, it's a World Series that feels or felt going into it a little bit lackluster in terms of the matchups because the Astros have had their, you know, they they should obviously call them the Houston Asterisks. I think that's been said a million times. But well, that's a good one. You know, act like that's your your original. That's you good. like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but that's what they are. I mean, 
the scandal will will forever haunt them in this era and they've just been there's nothing new about the astros being this deep into it the phillies are a fun you know they have fun personalities and they're a good story because they got hot late when it mattered and and etc but it's well got an interim manager it's the philadelphia phillies yeah the atmosphere the other night you know, you were busy, you know, in Barcelona or something. But the atmosphere for Game 3, when Harper hits that home run early, incredible. I'm curious to see tonight because they've got Game 5 in Philly. Um, I was saying this earlier in the week, Jake. This might I might be totally off on this. And probably the fact that the series is, well, the series is 2-2. I mean, tonight's a huge game. Do you think in that market, you'll have more TVs at 8.30 tonight on Game 5, Phillies and Astros, or on Eagles-Texans? Undefeated Eagles. Now that's on the road. Eagles at Texans, but just for like maybe the first quarter. World Series. Can you imagine what that would do to if Major was, League Baseball? If it was if, Eagles Cowboys, yeah, Eagles Texans is lacking a little bit, right? But they are undefeated. So that was part of the reason why I thought that that is Thursday night football tonight again. Eagles and Texans. Last I saw, it was nearly two touchdowns. Uh, Eagles is a favorite there on the road. Colts, a a five-and-a-half-point underdog this Sunday. Uh, Did you see the familiar face back inside West 56th Street yesterday? Did not. Jordan Wilkins signed to the practice squad. Really? Just like very eerie NFL life. Naeem Hines, 2018 draft pick in the fourth round. He is traded to the Bills, and all of a sudden, here comes Jordan Wilkins, who hasn't carried the football, I think, in two years, nearly two years in the NFL. He's back in the building, the guy taking a round after Naheem Hines in that draft, and he's using Naheem Hines' old locker. (laughs) Do you think Naheem Hines left him anything? He said he texted Naheem and told him that he would take good care of it. Naheem's like, I've got Josh Allen. I'm not too worried. Did you see Josh Allen's comments about Naeem Hines after their first practice, apparently? Like, I can't believe that guy's that fast or yeah. something like that? It'll be interesting to see what, how Buffalo uses him. And, you know, in the case of Buffalo, it feels like a spoil of riches, right? I mean, it's not like Naeem Hines, not like their offense needed explosion, <laughs> right. right? I do think that is like the one, if you want to nitpick, that's been the one thing they've been looking for. I thought their GM was really honest yesterday. He's like, yeah, we went after Christian McCaffrey. We made a call on Alvin Kamara. Like, they've been looking for this sort of element, obviously, Hines. I think a lot of teams have since the Kansas City blueprint, right? Which, to me, is all the more curious that the Colts seemingly never fully took advantage of it. And that's something I was mentioning yesterday, Jake, of like, again, I think Hines is a loss. He's durable. He's proven himself. He was underutilized. All those things. But I do feel like as the college game continues to evolve, you will see a deeper pool of draft candidates that are kind of like Hines. You're going to see more of, I mean, Travis Etienne was the perfect example for it at Clemson. Um, the the Clemson kid now, Shipley. Yeah. I mean, he's kind Shipley. of a multi-purpose guy out of the backfield. Like, I think with how the passing influence on the game of football in general, but uh, especially at the college level, um, I do think you'll see more of these guys. Uh, but Frank Reich pointed out yesterday, we thought 10 touches per game for him, and it ended up being about six. I mean, that's nearly half. Right. I mean, that's a big, big number for him. I, I just go back to Kevin. I guess we kind of did a a lob alley-oop with one another 
over social media when this went down where you pulled up the quote of Reich saying at the beginning of the year, if I was a fantasy football owner, I would absolutely want to have Naeem Hines this year because you know he's going to be used in a lot of ways. And then my, my quote tweet of, but if you're a, a real football coach, then apparently you just don't use him enough. You know what I mean? Like, that's good in fantasy, I guess, but it turned out to all be a fantasy for Frank Reich because they just didn't use him. And again, they were so out front about that, like grouping him with Pittman and Taylor as weapons. Um, you knew who was, was the owner. The owner is the one, Jim Irsay is the one that had always been such an advocate of any player on the roster other than Quentin Nelson. I don't know that there's a player that Jim Irsay more talked about his own fascination with the potential and the weaponry of a player than Naeem Hines. Jim Irsay is the one that talked about seeing him in college and thinking of him as being a slot receiver in the NFL and encouraging the Colts to use him more out of the backfield and get him involved in the passing game. Darren Sproles, like... Right. And then none of that happens, and he's traded for, you know... Theoretically, depending, you know, based on where the draft pick is slotted, he basically is traded for two special teams guys. Yeah, two hundredth range right now is where that draft pick will be. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, does the does Ursay have an issue with that? Does he say what are we doing here, or is he totally on board with what's happening? Because, and we will get into this more this morning, Kevin. I know, but I there is I am. I'm really interested to find out, and we probably won't in truth for a year or two, exactly his level of, is he really in the whole camp of these guys are as safe as can be, and I'm totally comfortable with where we are? I would hope not. I mean, it's year six and year five, and in the last week, you've, you're have six for Ballard, you're five for Reich. You've benched the quarterback that you lauded Peyton Manning like leadership for you fired your offensive coordinator and you traded away a guy that you know he wasn't a pillar cult but he was definitely on the list of guys that you just gave a contract extension to you know what 18 months ago looks like a start over refresh for me we get more into the Marcus Brady uh, news as well we'll hear some Frank Reich audio yesterday he filled the questions on that Heinz Chris Strasser the offensive line coach um Jake, I'm right on track right now. At three and five, the Pacers are right on track for 30 wins. <laughs> exactly. 30.7. Really? Mark and I did the math the other day. The um, Nets win helped. The Nets win was massive on Saturday. I felt like, I told this to Mark yesterday, felt like I should get a win for the fact that the Pacers got Steve Nash fired. Um, and I'll, then... I'll petition the NBA Not on only that. did they get Nash fired, but then they throw a complete... Grenade on the NBA, right? Yeah. Ime Yudoka sounds like he uh, could be coaching them. I'm very confused on that front. We called it uh, attention-seeking hot potato. That's what the Brooklyn Nets have become. Who wants totally. attention today? They've been that way forever, Kyrie, though, do you right? want it? Kevin, do yeah, you want it? I was about this at Colts practice yesterday. I'm like, man, it has been a newsy, newsy time for the Colts. And then I thought to myself, imagine covering the Brooklyn Nets or covering the Washington Commanders. Boy, the Commanders. <laughs> Yikes. Did not only the news that Daniel Snyder has put it up for sale, but you saw the other news, right? The criminal investigation? Yeah. Financial? Yeah. For Basically, he kept two books, right? 
I, I mean, he didn't report the full amount of ticket sales, I believe, with the book he sent to the NFL. Which, <laughs> yeah, boy. Did you hear like Commanders fans like huge, huge advocates for Jim Irsay? Like this guy, oh yeah, awesome. I mean, <laughs> they sure. love him. Yeah, they want to carry him off the field. They they, they want like a Rudy scene. PFT from Barstool. He's a huge Commanders fan. He says if if Snyder ends up selling, he will buy a Colts season ticket holder tickets and just give tickets away to Colts fans. <laughs> he's like, I'll just do it because he's like, I love Jim Irsay now. Jake, your favorite meal over there. Okay, I'm not a foodie. I'm not a food guy. I, I I like when I go to different places. I like to go to see the different parts of the culture. To the food not being to me, the food is like I'm hungry, so let's get something to eat before we go to the next thing. So I ate. Now I did have a seafood paella in Barcelona, which was which is basically I thought like a gumbo. Except for the, the shrimp still had all of the like tails and everything on it, and you had to cut all that off. That was a little much. Um, my favorite meal that I had was at a small cafe in Barcelona. I got a sandwich that was made in a waffle. It was like an avocado oh, wow. something Spanish, and it was made in a waffle, and it was something awesome. You see the state fair. The rest of it, I ate margarita pizzas everywhere we went because that was available both in Italy and in Spain at every single restaurant. And I'm like, that I know. And I know people are going to tell me, you know, what different strokes for different folks. Fancy food dishes are not a thing to me. I like to eat familiarity. I'm very weird as an eater. Routine? Our routine every day? No, I mean like you're a routine oh, guy. Huh. Doesn't Nick Saban eat the same thing every day because he doesn't want to waste time thinking about his meals? That's ex- the Nick Saban is my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first Jake and Nick Saban comp we've had on this show. Yeah, well. Probably first and only. We do have Notre Dame-Clemson coming up on Saturday night. Yeah, I'm worried about that because Clemson, you know, after that, Clemson's got Miami and South Carolina. They're fourth in the rankings. So they're they're within striking distance. They are... Just got to hold serve, right? They are not one of the four best teams in college football. I I will tell you that. But uh, that has stub your toe upset written all over it, does it not? Four-point favorite, the Tigers. Kevin said you guys need to come up with a show bet. Yeah, Mark wanted us to paint our chest. Loser, Loser has, has to paint, paint the chest. chest with that person's, you know, school of choice. I'm not certain I would do that. I figured you'd be all for it. Any chance to take your shirt off, you're probably all for it. <laughs> well, <yeah>. Probably <laughs> didn't get a chance to get hit up the tanning beds too much over uh, there. That's right. Any time till, till your, Monday. Scott Agnes, 8 o'clock. Thad Mata at 8.30. Patriots-Colts discussion with Mike Reese and Zach Kiefer coming up in the 9 o'clock hours. Mike Reese covers them. Uh, covers the Patriots for ESPN.com. They do have some notable names on the injury report heading into Sunday. Jake Query is back, and the weather is pretty good on this Thursday. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Kevin and Query, 93.5-107.5, The Fan. Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. No, no, last night in game four of the World Series, the Astros had four pitchers combined on that. Just the third time in postseason history, a no-hitter. Don Larson, of course, 66 years ago. Roy Halladay had one in the 2010 NLDS. Ironically enough, that was against Dusty Baker's Reds. Last night, Dusty was on the winning side of this one. So it'll be Justin Verlander on the mound. He's gone eight straight World Series starts without a win. 
Um, it'll be him and Noah Syndergaard in Game 5. Final game in Philly for this series, Game 6, which we know we will have, will be on Saturday night, and we'll see about a Game 7. Think it goes 7? Well, Mark and I said Sam Fritz was adamant Phillies in 6. Mark and I said Phillies in 7. Sticking to it, right? Yeah, especially after, after last night. Now that goes up against Sunday night football Chiefs and Titans. That would be interesting if we got to a Game 7. That would because we had a rain delay. I don't know if you saw that, Jake, when you were over. Over, I uh, did know that. Europe, yeah. But yeah, they uh, pushed Game Three back one day. They tried to avoid, you know, the NFL. But um, yeah, again, Game Five tonight, eight oh three, first pitch. Uh, Kyrie Irving, by the way, is donating five hundred thousand dollars to anti hate causes. Uh, Kyrie Irving is one of those guys. The NBA, the Nets. To your point, Mark seem to just like be mired in controversy constantly and Kyrie Irving he's a wonderful talent but has he gotten to the point where he is just too big a distraction for any for a franchise I thought you and Shannon were over there to test his theory on if the world is flat <laughs> well they had the little map when you fly you know, you know now that and it looks curved and we were pretty high up and it looks curved we flew over uh, Maine. I waved to Matthew. No, oh, I, I saw your pick. Yeah, during during the curvature yeah. of it, and it it does. And I watched ET on the plane, and that also shows at one point the Earth, and it looked round. Yeah, what's up with your movie selections? ET and Charlie Brown Christmas. What's well, going on you, there? Were you there with me? No, but you 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 I, mentioned how you. You were watching Charlie Brown Christmas. I'm like that can't be the in-flight movie that they decided no. They have on. what they have now. The seat in front of you is basically a small television screen. Well, it's like a small iPad is an easy way to say it because it's a touch screen. And they have probably thirty. They have maybe fifty movies that you can choose from. And they had a you know it says classics. I'm like oh wait a minute I want to like let me see what the classics are. So I was scrolling through it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, Charlie Brown's Christmas is on here. I'll watch the end of that. And then, I, you know, oh, wow, they have E.T. I'll watch, like, that a couple of scenes on that. I've been to the E.T. house, so I wanted to see the house and then compare it to the picture on my phone. Like, yeah, okay, that is it. And so I just, so basically I skipped around. It was like channel surfing, and I watched probably 20 different things. Gotcha. And okay. just hear the music in my ears, Charlie Brown Christmas oh, right now. That's why I played it, right? <laughs> Uh, Pacers, nothing tonight. Uh, they will have the Heat tomorrow over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Again, it's 8 Christmas of 10 now at home after that five-game road trip. They've got a Western trip to close <laughs> out this month. So a lot of games at home, though, coming up here the rest of, the rest of November. Uh, no Aaron Neesmith tomorrow. Sounds like Isaiah Jackson's knee injury. Not too serious. So good news on that front. Just stay on that 30 pace. Stay on the 30 pace. It's all you're worried about. Uh, Naheem Hines, he's a member of the Buffalo Bills, and very candid comments per usual from Naheem Hines. Here was him yesterday meeting the Buffalo media. I changed. I mean, it was just time. Sometimes you just know when it's your time to go. I mean, I loved it in Indy. I'm thankful for all the opportunity, but uh, sometimes you can just you just know. And I feel like every player, you can have any player sit down right here, and any player who's been on the other team, it's like they kind of felt like they knew. I feel like a week ago I knew, like, it was it was my time to leave, and I, I even like felt like you know like Sunday was my last game in Indy. Just, you just you sometimes just got that feeling. That's courtesy of Brett Bensley, by the way, who put that sound out there from Naeem Hines. There had been word or rumor that Naeem Hines had requested a trade. The thing to me that it, 
I've always kind of been befuddled by is sometimes if a player requests a trade and you like that player and what he still can bring to the table or you're, you're utilizing him properly, don't you basically say like, well, we appreciate it, but you're under contract. I, I mean, yeah. are the players making the calls here? Because yeah, if so, I, that's a dangerous precedent. We've certainly seen more of that lately. Um, I know his agent is not one of the like the mega agents around the league, so it's one of those things where it's like, are you trying to appease the agency because you know there's other clients that either are on your roster or around the NFL? Uh, it just seemed like, though, based off how you were utilizing him, it turned into a bad contract, Jake. Like, Naheem Hines had become a bad contract because you weren't committing to, I think, the type of money that you were paying him. Uh, injury report-wise from yesterday, again, Jonathan Taylor, uh, not 100% right now, did not practice after tweaking that ankle on Sunday, so that will be something to monitor. The new guy, Zach Moss, did not make it in yet, so we'll see if he gets on the practice field today. Uh, Deion Jackson, Philip Lindsay time for the Sunday? I mean, it's worked before, right? Jordan right. Wilkins going to get some run? We'll see. But again, Jordan Wilkins hasn't had a carry in nearly two years in the NFL, so we'll see on that front. All right, uh, Thad Mata coming up in less than an hour. We'll continue the Colts conversation on the other side. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton. On the- Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Thursday morning. So this was this is perfect for Mark to play this because of two things. Number one, I did indeed watch some of it, and I'm telling you, like every time I hear this, I instantly go back to like this melancholic feeling of childhood and the holiday season. But it feels kind of like the holiday season for the Colts and the fact that they're just gift wrapping for teams like Buffalo a guy like Naeem Hines. I mean, they're like, here, here's a stocking stuffer. I, like they gifted him they just gave him away is what it feels like to me but kevin yeah loyal listener jason said yesterday they didn't trade him they donated him yes salvation armies out front they probably here's a naheem hines for you yeah Yeah. a little goodwill action as i thought about this here is what and my apologies to people that i'm going to be this is going to sound dated because i haven't been here for a week and you guys obviously very capably talked about all of this stuff but Kevin the thing that I've the conclusion I've drawn when it comes to the Colts for this season and where they are right now there are those that would in this position and and I as a younger person probably certainly would have would have come on this radio in my first you know chance to talk about it and just teed off and called people incompetent and said, what are you doing? And the year's a waste and they've they've butchered everything and they're constructed poorly. And I, I probably would have done that 10 years ago. That, that's just how I, I am or how I was. But the more I thought about it, the easiest way for me to say it is simply this. I just think it's disappointing. I you know I know what the Colts mean to this city. I, I've seen for my parents, for example, they look forward to watching Colts games. My dad really wants them to do well. He enjoys when they win. I took my mom, you know, after big wins. My mom's been like, well, I want to go downtown and see fans. I mean, I know what it means, and I'm disappointed because I expected more from them. Not because I'm a football prognosticator that is an expert, but because they told me to expect more from them. They told me that. It wasn't me going by the talking heads or I'm, I went by what the Colts told me. 
and the Colts told me that they were all chips in. That last year they saw the door opening and they were going to go through that door with valor and vigor and do what they could to to catapult themselves into the upper stratosphere. And quite frankly, it looks to me like the Colts are the ones that decided to retreat and back away too quickly. And to me, it's disappointing. I'm disappointed in them. If I was to sound like some condescending father, I'm I'm not angry at them. I'm simply disappointed in them. Yeah, I think when you make the short-term quarterback move, Jake, your expectations rise. You feel like, oh, we, we're not going to have rookie quarterback growing pains. I mean, we're getting Matt Ryan, 15-year vet. The quarterback was the issue last year. You're kind of getting sold on all of that. You know, from a market standpoint, I think what adds to it, Jake, is the Pacers had their worst season in nearly three decades. Uh, Indiana basketball got to the tournament, but such a clunker against St. Mary's. Purdue basketball, of course. All these expectations in the tournament. You go to the Sweet 16, and then you lay the egg against the Peacocks. So I think from a market fan standpoint, wherever you side, Butler, of course, firing their their coach, um, you probably had some anticipation of like, man, I want to see a team win. One of my teams win. So um, I, I think that adds to it. I do want to play this clip from uh, Frank Reich yesterday uh, on the Marcus Brady scapegoat front. Um, this was Reich yesterday um, asked directly about Marcus Brady, uh, his firing, and being a scapegoat. It's really unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. I understand that, and so that should fall on me. It's not Marcus. Um, he's not being scapegoated, uh, but I understand how that perception is. So, you know, I have to own that, but I can tell you it's a collaborative effort. Marcus obviously is, plays a role. We're all, we, we all work together. We're all responsible um, for the work that we do. Marcus did a good job. Ultimately, I made a decision I thought was best for the team. What is the primary responsibility of an offensive coordinator? Jake, it's to coordinate the offense. I get that. But what were Marcus Brady's primary responsibilities? Yeah, I think all the offensive offensive assistants have some role in the game plan. Like Scotty Montgomery, the running backs coach, he'll be kind of the public-facing OC. He's not the interim OC, but he'll be that moving forward. Um, his background is heavy in college. So he's in charge of like run pass option stuff. So, you know, that's his segment of the game plan. And then Marcus Brady, I think, compiles all of that. And then he leads a lot of the Monday um, through Friday meetings within that building. Uh, Frank Reich is involved in all of that stuff, though. So if Frank Reich wants a change, he can make a change. Um, so I just don't think Marcus Brady's duties are anywhere near what Gus Bradley's duties are as defensive coordinator, what Bubba Ventrone well, are. But my special team. The reason I ask Kevin is because if Marcus Brady's responsibilities were not, in other words, did he have fewer offensive coordinating responsibilities than, say, the offensive coordinator in insert name of another franchise? Well, play calling would be the big thing. Okay, so one would assume that what this means is that. Frank Reich said, you know what, I'm going to be the one, you know, you go to these restaurants and they say each day that the menu changes by the day, these fancy restaurants, Frank Reich basically, and you tell me if this is a fair analogy, but Frank Reich basically said, at the end of the day, I'm going to be the one that is selecting what goes on the menu for people that day. 
you can prepare all the dishes you want and then give to me the list of dishes you prepare, but I'm going to be the one that decides what we are serving in the restaurant. And Frank Reich basically went back to Marcus Brady and said, I like the way that I'm selecting the menu. I just don't like the options that I have to select from because I feel like you're not making the right dishes and you're not preparing for me an offense that I can play call enough of the things that I need. I think Reich has many more ingredient choices on his plate than that, I guess, normal analogy would would lead to. Like, Reich is, if Reich does not like something that is being installed in the game plan, He's the play caller. He's the head coach. He takes it out. Right. That's so. What I'm saying is that the it only, is a scapegoat. I guess correct. Is what I, well, it, that's, is, is yes. To summarize it all, it's a scapegoat move. And Frank said it yesterday. And this is a little bit more of the candid part. And it wasn't in that answer. Jake Frank made it very clear. The first 15 plays of the game. You always hear about how it's scripted. You know, this is what we've been working on all week. This is the stuff that we're definitely going to run and we're going to implement it to start a game. The Colts have not scored a single point on an opening drive all season. They that yep. is a direct reflection of Frank Reich. It's a direct reflection of him as a play caller. It's a direct reflection of him as a head coach and the lack of urgency that this team continues to come out of the gate, which has been unlike the first couple of seasons with Reich this year, and it dates back to really that Christmas game last year. They've been a very, very poor starting team. You get behind the eight ball. Uh, you're not potent enough to recover from that, and that's why you're at this point in the season. And by the way, and we can table this for the 8 o'clock hour, but what has happened to Quentin Nelson? Uh, something has happened. Is he hurt? Is he, speaking of scapegoat, is he being scapegoated because guys around him are not blocking in the positions that they're supposed to, and that is altering his responsibility? I don't know, but... I. I'm no football guru, but I think it's safe to say he's regressed. Thad Mata at 8.30. We'll talk some Pacers with Scott Agnes next. Kevin and Quarry on a Thursday. 8 o'clock hours underway on a Thursday. Jake Quarry here along with Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton as well. The Pacers on Monday, by the way, will be in New Orleans to take on the Pelicans. The Pelicans... Uh, were beaten, I think it was last night, by the Lakers on a game-winning shot by. Did you see who had the game-winning shot, Kevin? My guy from Notre Dame, Matt Ryan. Former uh, Colt quarterback Matt Ryan. Did not take him long to find another gig, right? And that forced overtime, right? I thought it was the game-winner. That three? I thought it was a three to force overtime. You know what the Pelicans are saying? We have Matt Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, But before then, of course, at the Fieldhouse tomorrow night, it will be the Miami Heat coming in to take on the Pacers in their quest for 30. And joining us now on the Payless Slickers hotline from Fieldhouse Files is Scott Agnes. And Scott, the Pacers kind of called their shot. You tell me if I'm wrong here. And the fact that they said before the year, listen, we're going to have some games where we look like world beaters, and then we're going to have other games where you wonder what the heck is going on, and it's all part of the process. And so far, that's kind of played out to form, don't you think? I do, yeah, Jake. Welcome back to the States, by the way. Thank you. Um, But, yeah, over the weekend, you got uh, two games where they shoot very well. You get a couple of wins. Um, You even have another game. Then where Chris Duarte has the best game of his career, and that was after the team has sets a franchise record for threes, but they then they lose. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think it's exactly what's happened thus far, and they probably won a couple more times than you might think. 
Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files. Uh, before we get back to kind of the on-court stuff, Scott, I do want to go back to uh, the Adrian Wojnarowski pod and Miles Turner's comments. We played the clip a little bit earlier in the week. Um, I'll leave it pretty open-ended for you. What did you make of what Miles had to say uh, in relation to the Lakers' interest? Yeah, I, first of all, I was just very surprised that they led off. That was just a very uncomfortable, not uncomfortable, that was just kind of an awkward way, I think, to lead off. Maybe it was trying to be done with that so Miles could be maybe you know get the tension out of the room a little bit, right? But to, to start a conversation with with that hypothetical, with something about rumors and stuff that most of the time players hate discussing. Um, honestly, they, they want to focus on the present. They're very much what they have to do today and everything. But I was not surprised that he did that or he uh, did an interview with hoop type stuff like that. Um, it's always interesting when they go to bigger cities, the L.A., New York's, um, there's always some news or always some kind of stories that come out of it just because of the number of national media that go there. But from a general sense, I don't think Miles said anything terribly new or noteworthy other than kind of just kind of discussing his career and hitting some key topics like the fact that, um, you know, he, he wouldn't he, just the, playing in a, a major city, I think, interests him because of different things, including being playing in front of a national audience, which would also lead to more people watching him and could lead to better situations at the end of the year where he could be awarded, um, you know, being part of uh, league awards, whereas he's really not been included in those at all during his career, and that's been terribly frustrating to him. If the trade deadline, Scott, were next week, you think Buddy Heald or Miles Turner – would bring back more for the Pacers? Hmm. That's a good question that I'm not certain about. The fact that Buddy has another year under contract. Is that looked uh, as like my- a pro for a team getting, you know, I, I, I'm kind of torn on that. They could look at it for miles and say, hey, we just want him for the stretch run, expiring contract, etc." With Buddy, he's obviously older, but like you said, he is under contract for another year. Yeah, the, the challenge is if you're acquiring miles, you have to be almost willing now, you no know, moving forward to extend his deal and add to it, you know, eventually at the end of this season. So you have to, you know, he would like 20, 25 million more than that even, but doesn't mean he'll get it. Um, but he's a known commodity, meaning, you know, you know what he's going to cost you this season and next season. I think it's like 28 million. So the price is a little high. Um, I, my first instinct was Buddy purely because has very dependable in terms of health, has not had any health, kind of health issues, whereas you know even Miles had a sprained ankle in game one. He hadn't finished the last two seasons. So purely based off availability, I would go with Buddy. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure, though. Scott, to me, when talking about Miles Turner and, you know, I think it's probably safer to say when than if, but they flip him into something moving forward. My thought would be that they must be looking at Isaiah Jackson as well to make sure or or cement in their mind that Isaiah Jackson can do the things that they would be losing about the future if Miles Turner were to leave, notably rim protection and defense. 
I guess two-part question. Number one, do you think that is part of the thought process? And number two, if it is, do you think they've seen enough from Isaiah Jackson to feel like he can take up the slack that would be there if Miles Turner were to leave? I think we've seen a lot from Isaiah Jackson and enough to, to show you that the potential is there. Um, I don't think we've necessarily, you know, seen a game in and game out and, you know, um, you know, or to that certain level, nothing like where he's walking away with four blocks a game. Like it's, it seems like miles inevitably churns out a little bit. Um, but I think you're seeing the potential and the comfort that they, in, in, in also the manner in which they, they talk him up, um, is astounding in a good way. And as you would expect for a, a player that, you know, they traded up in the draft to go get in the first round. So, yeah, I, th- I think they're comfortable with that. And also the fact with Jalen Smith, by the way, he's actually a true five. Uh, I'm sure you guys have discussed that, but uh, he's out of position a little bit playing the four so that he could start, which was an enticement for him to resign here. So, while I think Isaiah Jackson is that that probably that future five in a in a perfect world if he continues to develop the way he does, Jalen Smith's an option. Um, and then just to speak to the depth there, then you got Goga there. James Johnson can play, you know, that front court lineup. So they they have too many bigs for kind of developing right now. It feels like you know. We are, if I'm not mistaken, my math could be off here, Scott. Scott Agnes is our guest from Fieldhouse Files. He's on the Payless Lookers Hotline. I think we are entering the 51st week of Kevin and I doing this show together because it was right around this time of year ago when we started, right? Somewhere there. Um, And during that 51 weeks, uh, there are two guys. I'm going to basically, Kevin, say that you are Marty Blake. The, the NBA scouting guru. Scott, Kevin has fallen in love with two guys during the time that we've done this show. Um, one of them is Benedict Matherin, and, and that obviously has worked out, and the other is Jalen Smith. Those are the two guys that you have most pined for, and Scott, let's be real, man. Different both types these, of love, uh, if I could just throw that yeah, in Yeah, but I'll tell you what. Both these guys have... Jalen Smith in particular, I mean, I got to give him a lot of credit, Scott, because we know about the opportunities where he could have gone elsewhere. Did he know something in the fact that he he thought, you know what, this is a chance where I can really grow? And so far, it has appeared to be the case, correct? Yeah, I think this this was a perfect situation in terms of a player buying in um, to, to what he was promised and, and then running with it and going from there. Because to that point, he focused, he stayed in Washington, back home in Washington, D.C. a little bit all summer and focused on playing the four and focused on those different things that he'd have to do to prepare himself and, and including shooting more threes and what he would need to do defensively and being out on the perimeter more. But he, he did not make the best business decision in the short term, if you will, right? He could have taken on more of a guaranteed contract right away. We don't know any specifics, but I do know there were several teams interested and he probably could have doubled what he's getting in his first year, for example, uh, where he's getting like 4.7 uh, in year one, but there's an opportunity here. Rick Carlisle did a great job recruiting him, went out to visit him several times, got to know the family. Um, the, from what I've been told, they give a lot of credit to really to the whole Pacers organization to sell how he could really be part of the city, be part, um, be part of this team, um, could help market himself, all those different things. 
if he produced on the court as well. And so far, he he has. And so he's done a nice job there. And then at the end, it's a three-year contract, which it was originally supposed to be two. It turned out to be a three-year contract. But that year three is a player option. So betting on himself, if everything goes to script, then then he'll get the, the dividend down the road and he'll be like 24. So <laughs> he's in very good shape if he goes down this track. Scott Agnes is with us here from Fieldhouse Files, courtesy of the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott, really big for Chris Duarte on Monday night. You talk about a guy that needed that sort of performance. I felt like you saw the confidence from him that I really don't think he ever lacked at Oregon or even early on in that rookie year. Uh, Maybe some injuries have contributed to that. And I thought he said something interesting yesterday that a little bit of a tweak to his jump shot um, that he noticed and, and he felt like that contributed to the big night on Monday. Yeah, no, I would agree, KB. He, I don't think he was lost at all for confidence. Um, but one thing that I wondered about, this was just my thought, was last year he was kind of the hot young guy in town, right? He it was a lottery pick. Everyone's talking about him. He could be the man. What's his future like? Well, now it's Halliburton. Now it's Benedict Matherin. What's Jalen Smith doing, right? And so, you know, I would think from his standpoint, maybe, you know, the general thought could be, you know, where do I fit in this team? Nobody's talking about me. There was even a time during training camp, it was funny, he walked by some of us reporters and kind of in a playful, joking joking way, walked over and was like, eh, you guys don't want to talk to me, do you? You know, just kind of having fun with it. But I think that was very real. But um, in talking about, I asked him, him, Rick, Tyrese, all about that uh, yesterday. In the general sense, and this is really this is where Tyrese is so good at media too. And just in alerting us and, and making things known, he was like, no, actually go look back at my second season in the NBA. You start to be almost a little overconfident. Like, Hey, I got this down. I played in every city. I get this. And, but then you got to realize you're on everybody's scouting report. Now people know your game. Um, so you got to adapt and, and get better. So I also had a slower start to my second season. And there was like the second game. He had like six points. He, you know, didn't score against the 76ers. And I think that's just what Chris was going through, a kind of a natural progression. Um, You know, the challenge, too, is he's played four games in the starting lineup and four games off the bench. And but then to go back to your point, too, he he noticed. Yeah, I noticed some I noticed some things and made some changes, one of which, at least that he was willing to share was, you know, that he was leaning back a little bit on his shot. So. One little change can make a difference, along with just kind of seeing it going through and reinforcing what he had been doing in practice throughout training camp. Scott, is there anything the Pacers are doing that makes them atypical in the league in terms of approach, or are they basically, in other words, I think that you know when they had Turner Sabonis and it was, look, they're going to go with a low block game and kind of be the anomaly and, and hope that everybody then has to kind of replicate what they're doing. And I'll give them credit that they said, you know, that ain't going to work. And they had to kind of play catch-up then. Are they playing a style or building towards a style that is keeping with the Joneses, or are they going on their own path once again? Um, I, I think they're kind of doing what we expected, except they're 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 playing Jalen Smith and, and Miles Turner in the starting lineup, which isn't ideal, I don't think. Both of those, again, are really true fives, and you'd kind of really like to have a true power forward. And also, you'd really like to have a true uh, wing out there, um, which they really haven't had in three or four years, kind of that that perfect body in the NBA, that six eight, lengthy, 
um, type build there. So they're missing they're missing that. Um, generally speaking, I think they're kind of going along the the typical path. You look, you know, from back three years ago, they were last in the NBA under Nate McMillan in three point attempts. Now they're they're right there. I'm not sure where they stand today, but probably top three. Uh, maybe at one point they were they were leading the league. So they're shooting more threes. Their pace is up. Um, so they're very much playing more of a modern style of basketball than they were two, three, four years ago. Scott, we'll end with this. And again, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files. I feel like we need a monthly update. Bless you, Jake, on the uh, Pacers draft picks coming up in 2023. So obviously they've got their own right now that's slotted ninth. Of course, ping pong balls or lottery will decide that. Then they've got the pick from Boston. That has no restrictions on it, right? That is definitely coming to Indy no matter what, right? Yeah, I believe so. And even if it does, it you know, it, a lottery protection shouldn't be in the cards. And right. there is one, though, with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I was going to say. I wanted to, it looks like that doesn't matter either. Yeah, right now, Boston's pick coming to Indy would be at 20 overall. They're 4-3 and three out of the gate. The Cavs have won six straight. They're 6-1. and one. They got the second-best record in the league. Uh, so that is the 29th pick. And after the uh, end-of-season heartbreak last year, uh, probably good to see Cleveland out to a fast start because that pick, if for some reason Cleveland doesn't make the playoffs, that first rounder would then turn into two seconds. Is that correct? Yes, that's that's the dangerous one. You hate to to have that pick, which they got for Kara Silvert, which we all thought would convey last year, right. ultimately just become a couple of seconds. So there's no reason to think it doesn't be, be a first this year, but then again, we all thought that last year. 9, 20, and 29 right now. You know, the the Celtics kind of did the same thing one year where they had, remember that year when, I think it was when Brad Stevens first got there, and they had three or four picks, and you know they were some of them were in the 20s. And I think that you get the thought process of like, wait a minute, why build for the future if you're not getting three, you know, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's, but you got to have other guys, complimentary pieces around, and I think that's what Indiana's doing now. You got to hit on them though, Kevin, right? No, oh, certainly, yeah, certainly. Um, Scott, again, the Pacers in the Heat in action tomorrow night. Our coverage begins at six thirty over at Gamebridge. Scott, appreciate you uh, moving your time slot around with us on this Thursday. Thank you. All good, thank you, guys. Scott Agnes, right there. You haven't done the Tankathon in a while, Jake. <laughs> Wait a minute. D- does the Tankathon still exist? Oh, it always exists. You you think no one's done the tankathon for Web and Yama yet? All right, hang on. This this was such a fun game last Shocked year. Shocked you didn't play this on the uh, airplane over there. <laughs> I was. Hey stupid. Shannon, you want to watch Charlie Brown Christmas? You want to play tankathon? Let's let Sh- me go to sleep. Shannon watched nine hours of Below Deck, which is like some reality oh, show. God, oh, yeah. she's laughing. I'm like, what are you? What are you doing over there? Jake's watching ET. <laughs> All right, here we go. Webinyama, uh, phone home. I have it right here. As a matter of fact, in front of me, we're doing the lottery. That's yeah, one of your right favorites now. on your bookmarks with the third pick. <laughs> In the 2023 NBA draft, the Indiana Pacers select Nick Smith from the University of Arkansas. Third pick. That's yeah. pretty good right now. Based the problem off is you want one of those first two. Ninth. This, of course, has Orlando getting Victor Webinyama and Scoot Henderson going to the Pelicans. Uh, Kirk, thank you for this note. He messaged me saying that uh, the Celtics pick is top 12 protected, I think. I think we all expect Boston 
of course, to be better than that, but just something to keep an eye on. Uh, this, by the way, has the Pacers taking Jordan Walsh, also out of Arkansas, with the 20th pick. This is so irrelevant that we're Man, doing this. Man, Musselman's really got some NBA talent. And Matthew there. Cleveland out of Florida State with the 29th pick, which ironically is a pick from Cleveland. How about that? Uh, Jalen Hood Shafino in round one of that mock. I, I've seen his name kind of pop up a few times. That is a great question here. Let's look. Uh, I do not see him here. But he also, I mean, I think once he plays, people are going to say, I, I think he is going to play himself in the NBA discussion, yes. Purdue rolled last night in their exhibition. They'll get things underway. Matt Painter, as always, terrific with JMV yesterday afternoon for anybody that missed. Like, even if you're not a Purdue fan, it's always a great listen. And by the way, we'll have Thad Mott on in about 10 minutes. Thad in 10, right? Thad Mott in 10 minutes. Let's hit a morning check down. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. History last night in Philadelphia, Game 4 of the World Series. Christian Javier went six innings of no-hit ball. They then turned it over to the bullpen, and three Astros relievers combined on the first combined no-hitter in postseason history. Just the third no hitter ever in Major League Baseball for the playoffs. I was shocked by that. Don Larson obviously had the perfect game back 66 years ago. Roy Holiday had the no hitter against the Reds in 2010. Um, <laughs> that's that's one of the darkest days in Reds history, was uh, it not? Easily, easily. Which I guess Dusty Baker got the last laugh last night. That first Phillies loss at home. How about this? In the postseason. Kevin, how about this? I saw this on social media, so I'm stealing it. I, I apologize that I, I don't know who said it. Uh, so there have been three no-hitters in postseason history, right? You might have just mentioned this. If you did, I apologize. Um, Dusty Baker was the opposing manager in two of the three. Oh, boy. Is this your jet lag kicking in? Did you just say exactly that? I, I know did. you said he was last night, but... Yeah, Dusty on the other end Sorry. of it. Sorry. Maybe you need to play Tankathon again. You perked up when we brought no, I was, I was I was checking something. I know that, that you... That Tankathon in energy got you back. <laughs> Sorry. They should have literally... Muto. Bouncing ball to third. Picked by Bregman. How about this? This is what I meant to say as opposed to being redundant to you. I apologize. Uh, when Nolan Ryan set the record for most no-hitters in baseball, Dusty Baker was his final out. How's that? Look at that. Should that be on the pop quiz today? Because we need to come up with that. <laughs> you don't want to scramble again at okay. 925? By the way, Joe Davis and John Smoltz, great. They, they've been terrific in the world. I think John Smoltz is an awesome, awesome When Dusty Baker was the final out for Nolan Ryan's record-setting fifth no-hitter, who was Dusty Baker playing for? How about that? Pirates. Mark? I no, I couldn't even venture a guess. I have no idea. Okay. Maybe that should be our pop quiz question. I just feel like I've gotten old when the scene of, was it JT? When J- you say something and then I repeat it two seconds <laughs> well, later? Yeah. Uh, the scene of, I think it was JT Snow. Remember a little Darren Baker for the Giants when Dusty was a manager out there running to pick up the bat and he's like yes. on home plate yes. as the play's going on. JT Snow picks him up as he crosses home plate. Darren Baker is now like in the minor league system for some team. That was basically the only memorable moment from that World Series, right? Yeah, I struggle with World Series memories. Yeah. Well, this will be one of those, I, I think. 2-2, Game 5 tonight. Again, it is a quite the night for a fan of Philadelphia. You've got, in your own city, 
Uh, the Phillies hosting the Astros. That'll be Noah Syndergaard for the Phils and Justin Verlander for the Strohs. Um, and then in Houston, ironically enough, it'll be the Eagles and Texans Thursday night football. Mark, is it still 13 and a half? It's up to 14 now. 14 point favorite, the Eagles there. Their undefeated season continue, Jake, tonight? Or does Davis Mills have something mm, up his sleeve? I'm telling you, I, I remember I originally said that the Eagles' undefeated season was going to end here. I don't know about now. What about at Commanders next Monday? Yeah. Taylor Heineke, Magic. That's a hard sell. You missed a wild one on that? Sunday. Mark, did you get that? Commanders, that's a hard mm-hmm. sell. Did you get that? No, that was I got good. It. I got it. That was, See? that was the tankathon See? jolt coming in. <laughs> I don't always listen, but when I do, I can come up with some good stuff. It's always good when you're like, hey, did you get my joke? That's when you know it's a good yeah, one. Right, exactly. <laughs> did everybody follow yeah. that? Did you guys all hear that? I just want to make sure. I'll repeat Mark it is usually the guy that I ask for confirmation. For- <laughs> a lot of listening yesterday to Frank Reich. Uh, tons of questions thrown his way. One of them, you fired Marcus Brady. Why not offensive line coach Chris Strasser. Yeah, I have a lot of confidence in Strauss. I mean, you know, he's produced a lot of a lot of good offensive line play. I do feel like our protection has been pretty good the last few weeks. The run game last week was better, not where we want it to be. You know, we've had the changing dynamics there. Do we have to play better? Yes. Are, are, are we headed in the right direction? I do feel like we are. I feel like guys are playing better. You know, we had... We had some uncharacteristic play last week that hurt us. Um, we we got to improve that. Everybody's got to do their job in that. For me, it's to Strauss, to the O-lineman, and I believe I believe we're on that right track. You know, is Frank right, Kevin? Does he know? Do you think he feels like dead man walking? Um. Yeah. Yeah. The body language, Jake. I mean, I know he's a subdued individual to begin with, but yesterday, I mean, I asked him a direct question about Naeem Hines, and he's like, yeah, you know, Chris is handling about 90% of those conversations, basically deflecting the question to Chris, and I I feel bad for Frank. I'm like, I'm sorry, because Chris Bowd won't won't talk right now, and Jim Mercer's not putting himself in front of the camera. You're asking Frank right questions that he really can't even answer. Now, the Strasser one, obviously, that is on him, but it just seems like a lot of dejection. Looks like he's lost his dog. Well, that's unfortunate. I, I know. Him. You don't wish that upon anyone, right. but that's what it looks like when Frank Reich uh, gets in front of a mic right now. Uh, you know who does get in front of a mic is Thad Mata, the head basketball coach at Butler, and he's going to do exactly that with us in five and a half minutes. It's Kevin and Query here on a Thursday that honestly feels like a Monday. 93... 93- whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 5107.5 The Fan. Butler men's basketball coach Thad Mata going to join us here in just a second. Uh, Purdue had an exhibition last night, Truman State. Boilermakers rolled and that one, we got a little Purdue basketball inside early in the week. We talked some IU last week. College basketball season really begins next week. Exhibition games, those secret scrimmages are done uh, next week. The secret scrimmages we'll are never started. secret, right? Yeah, they do kind of leak like a like like a box score or something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah, no, no video, but yeah, you do hear some stats. And I think Purdue handled Cincinnati. I want to say in their secret scrimmage. Well, how do you know? Well, it got it got leaked. 
That's not much of a secret, right? So many newcomers for Butler, and if I'm not mistaken, maybe you and Thad can chat about this. Didn't Thad Mana have Butler on a foreign trip earlier this year? I thought it was was it Italy and Greece. I think that's right. I know they went overseas, right? The, you know, a lot of teams will say, in, or a lot of people will say, that sometimes those trips are as good for just kind of players getting to know their teammates and bonding together as they are the X's and O's. You know what I mean? Sure. And for him especially, right? Well, for a new coach, it's huge. Right. You get the extra practices and all that. You can ask him about it right now if you'd like. Yeah, Thad Mata is with us right now on this Thursday morning. Let's begin there. And, and first, thank you for the time this morning, Coach. Um, how beneficial was that foreign tour? And I guess outside of basketball, like from a team bonding, so many newcomers, extra practices, um, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, ways you look at that as pretty beneficial. Well, absolutely. I mean, the, you know, the basketball part aside, I think just from the educational opportunity that, that our players had um, was was something that, you know, once in a lifetime type of uh, situation of things we were able to, to do to see the places that we went. Um, you know, the one thing I did learn when we were in Rome is, is it is true Rome wasn't built in a day. <laughs> Um, there's, there's, uh, it took a lot of time to build like the Coliseum and all those things in case people thought that it was built in a day. But, um, <laughs> I, I, I do think, you know, just, you know, you look at the basketball side of it, you know, when you, when you're a new staff, a new team, having the opportunity to, to actually practice and, and play some games, albeit they weren't the, the, the greatest competition, but by the same token, it was just, it was a, it was a great experience for our guys to grow closer together and, and, you know, for, Hey, for us to get to know them and them to get to know us, I think it was uh, just a wonderful experience. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that coach. How much as a coach can you learn about your team and the way players <laughs> react to situations when you do something like that that has nothing to do with basketball does in other words can you observe things in the way that your guys are interacting with one another that far from home with each other etc that you can translate into pressure moments in a basketball game Absolutely, it's a great question, and 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 I think that there's, um, you know, people flip on the tube and, and watch a game and think that's that's the only thing that goes into it. Um, you know, just just as, as a coach, you go into a restaurant, you watch who sits with who, you watch, you know, who on a tour, who's going with who, who's hanging out, um, you know, those those type of of things. You know, who who says please, who says thank you, who. Um, you know, shows uh, manners and, and is able to communicate with, with people, <laughs> which none of us did a real good job because none of us spoke English or, or Greek. But, um, you know, I think those are things that I look at as a coach in terms as you're trying to build your foundation of a program and just, you know, what, what is the depth of this young man and, um, uh, you know, how are his skills to interact? Because, you know, when you look at the game of basketball, uh, especially in today's day and age, I mean, it's, it's hard. And, and, you know, it is a team game and guys are going to have to play together. Guys are going to have to bond. Guys are going to have to cover for each other. And, and I think all those things off the court do add up in terms of, of the making of a really good basketball team. Back at the helm of the Butler Bulldogs, he is Thad Mata with us here on this Thursday morning. 
Thad, you're a couple exhibition games into it. Your opener coming up on Monday with New Orleans over at Hinkle Field. That's a 6.30 tip. Uh, what did you like, and what do you feel like you guys still need to work on from those exhibitions? Well, I think, um, you know, playing Saturday, playing Tuesday was, was good for us in terms of a, of a quick turnaround. Because that's what we're getting ready to face here as, as we get into the season. Um, I, I do think this, we were a, a much, much better basketball team on Tuesday than we were Saturday. Um, you know, I, I think as, as I look at our group, um, offensively, we, we've still got to learn to, to trust each other, trust the system probably most importantly. Um seven assists in the first game to 25 assists in the second game. I thought that was tremendous progress. I thought, you know, defensively, um, our activity level was a lot higher the second game. And and those were two areas that we really challenged our guys. You know, we we still, we haven't shot the ball well from three and we've gotten some pretty good looks. And and that's something that uh, I want to, you know, continue to hone on for this group because right now, you know, we're we're banged up. I think the you know the number one thing we got to do is get healthy. Um, uh, we only had nine guys the other night, but I think uh, you know we got to get everybody sort of clicking on all cylinders, both offensively and defensively. And you know, Tuesday night uh, on the defensive end, we, we covered for each other better. We were, we were doing a lot of switching because Davenport uh, had a unique five man that could pick and pop and shoot three. So we were doing things differently. And and the guys did a really good job picking that up and, and uh we gotta continue to build on that because I think that's gonna be our, our calling card because I do think we can score the basketball. We we just we gotta get stops and you know it, it's hard to run when you're taking it out of the net every time. Coach, from the last time that you were at Butler to now, that program has changed a lot. You were a big part of that. I mean in a good way. When you came back and you're and you're getting your feet underneath you with this roster, this group of guys, this style of play, this league for that matter, does it feel like the same place that you left, or does it feel like it's an entirely different place with a completely different approach? Um, <laughs> I tell you, you know, it's it's funny. It, it's obviously a different job. You know, uh, I, I I was blown away. Um, by the crowds we had for two exhibition games. You know, back when I played, um, I could hear my dad talking to my mom during the game because nobody was in the stadium. Uh, you know, I think in terms of one thing that I love about Butler University is, is the university hasn't changed. Now, obviously, we're at a much higher level um, in, in terms of competitiveness in college basketball being in the Big East Conference. But I, I, I think that there's there's a lot of things they're saying. But, the, you know, the, the, the little things that have to change have changed. And, and I think that's a, a tribute to uh, Butler just saying, hey, we're, we're, at a different, we're in a different position now. And I, I think that, uh, you know, we got to continue to build upon that and, and just put ourselves in the best position to uh, be competitive across the country because it's, it, we're now a um, – in a league and, and you know that where we have to recruit nationally we have to uh you know bring in the best players that we possibly can thad mott is our guest he's the butler basketball coach of course he's on the payless liquors hotline coach i wanted to ask you uh, about this or give you the opportunity i guess to address this um you know dana bimbo did a nice article recently in the indianapolis star about greg odin working for you and being mm-hmm. on staff at butler and Greg Oden, to me, you know, I covered him when he was in high school, and I thought at that time 
He was one of the most like softly conscientious and respectful young athletes that I'd been around, and that was when he was, you know, the center of the basketball world. Right. Obviously, you have a connection with him, and I think there are people that will look at it as, well, this is just that model, like helping out his guy and being loyal. I wanted to give you the opportunity to let people know something about Greg Oden that merits Greg Oden getting this position based on his basketball knowledge or coaching ability as opposed to simply as a long-standing favor of you landing him as a prize recruit, which I think there are some people that may feel in the back of their mind. <laughs> well, those people that think that don't know much about college basketball because you don't do favors uh, when you're coaching college basketball in that regard. But, uh, no, I, I brought Greg in for, for several reasons. I think, number one, um, you know, Greg Greg wants to be a coach. Greg's going to be a, a tremendous basketball coach. You know, it's funny that, that uh, and I've always said this, you know, people come to me like, you know, Greg is just the nicest guy. And I was telling our team the other day that, that Greg is, was probably, and I mean this, the nastiest player I've ever coached between the lines. I mean, he was ferocious when it came game time. Now, as soon as the game was over, he was back to being the nicest guy, but he was a winner. And, and I don't think you can ever put a price tag on surrounding your players around guys that, that have won, that know how to win. Um, you know, the fact of, of all the things that, that Greg has been through in his life, um, from being, you know, arguably the, the greatest high school player and, and, you know, leading us to the national championship, you know, with one hand, um, being a number one pick and, and then being injury ridden and his career cut short. Um, you know, I, I, I've always tried to hire guys that have something to prove. And, and I think Greg has something to prove. I mean, the, the, the basketball component of his life didn't go the way he wanted it to. So now he wants to make an impact through the coaching ranks. And, and those are the type of guys I want around me. Those are the type of guys that, that I want on my staff. And, and, you know, most importantly, I mean, he has a, just a, a great ability to relate to players. And, um, you know, couldn't be happier with the job he's doing for us. And Thad Mata is with us here. Butler get the, their season underway Monday, 6.30 tip over at Hinkle against New Orleans. Thad, from a recruiting standpoint, you know we're now a decade out from the national title runs. Um, you've got this, frankly, kind of murky NIL situation. Um, just so much has changed, obviously, from a recruiting standpoint. But curious your thoughts on like Butler's brand and what you've noticed when you've gone out to recruit um do you feel like it's at a higher level than maybe you thought maybe a level that needs to get to um another level for you guys to compete in one of the better conferences in college basketball what have been your impressions of kind of the butler brand from a recruiting standpoint well you know i i think from this standpoint um knock on wood let me find some wood here. i'm knocking on it but uh in in terms of the recruiting process thus far um we've we've kind of gotten the guys that we wanted. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, we, we want to recruit a certain type of young man from a, uh, a certain type of background. You know, obviously those kids have, have got to be really, really good basketball players. Um, you know, in, in, in terms of, of the brand, um, you know, people, people know Butler, people have a, a good feel. I mean, you're, you're, you know, bringing them into one of the top academic academic institutions in the country. You're in, uh, as you guys know, I, I think the greatest city in in the country. I, I love Indianapolis, 
And and then you know you you look at our fans and, and just the support that they've given us thus far, and and hopefully we're going to get this season. Um, you know, I, I think from the standpoint of, of playing um, in a place like Hinkleville, I've said this. You know, I've coached all over the country, and I think you know from Butler to to Duke to Kansas, I think. You know, maybe I'm old school, but I think those are three of the, the greatest college basketball facilities in the country. And um, so it is a it is a unique opportunity for kids. And, you know, as I said, we got to go out and we got to find the right type of kids. And, and then we got to come in here and make them better. I think that's one thing that, uh, you know, we talk a lot about is just our commitment to, to making them, to developing them into the player that they're capable of being. I, I tell kids this, I, I, I used to be, I'm not sure anymore, but myself, Coach Gay, and Coach Calipari were the only coaches that had coached multiple national players of the year. Neither one of mine were top 100 players out of high school. And and, mm-hmm. and so, you know, just that, that commitment we have to our guys, to making them better, um, is, is something that, you know, kids say they want to get better. Well, we're going to do that above them. Evan Turner and... David Turner- West. David West, hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty good resume right there. Uh, last one for me. Obviously, a ton of big topics in college basketball r- right now. Um, NCAA tournament expansion. You good with sixty eight? Do you want to see it grow? Um, any thoughts yeah, on I, that? I, I'd say that they should let everybody in. I really do. Like extend it a week or whatever it would take. I, many years ago, I had to figure out where it was an extra week and, and two extra games, but. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm all for the expansion and and um, um, you know I, I, I think from the standpoint of you know I I've, I'm one of these guys I've, I've been at every level of college basketball from a low major to a mid major to a medium major to a high major and and um, and, and I know how hard it is I I, I think from the standpoint of um, you know the the more teams that can get in it, the, the cream's always going to rise to the top. Um, you know, typically it does, but you know, you, you look back to uh, what was it, 2011? Um, it was Butler, Kansas, VCU, and UConn. And you go into the last week of the season, Butler, UConn, and VCU weren't in the NCAA tournament and all made it to the Final Four. And I think that's kind of the beauty of, of uh, you know, what that tournament's all about and runs and, you know, just the excitement. So, Coach, I want to go over one more thing here because I, I love – and matter of fact, we still got to come up with a pop quiz, Kevin, so take notes. Uh, the the stat that you just brainstormed there in terms of – say that again in terms of coaching multiple players that have won National Player of the Year. Um, yeah, David and Evan – um, Well, you were saying how many coaches – what was the stat? like? I, I, it, it, yeah, at one point it was myself, Coach K, and and Coach Calipari. I didn't. Mark Pugh maybe has had a couple now. I I, I don't know for sure. Maybe, maybe John Wooden did. I'm sure John did back then. Coach Wooden, I just called him John. Uh, Coach Wooden did back in the day. Um, but that, that was like as, as the current coaches when I was coaching. Because here's the thing, and that's probably right of the current coaches. And this is the part that I think is cool. That would mean that you and John Calipari are the only matter of fact of all coaches. I believe you and John Calipari would be the only two to have produced a national player of the year at different schools. It's pretty cool, right? It is, yeah. So yeah. why not? And and you get one at Butler and you go three for three? What the hell? Well, let's go, be, right? <laughs> I, I would be all for that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet. At the third, 
fourth job at a third different school or a third school. So yeah, it, it is a unique ending to my career. CMOS Lukosius, here we go. You know, National Player of the Year coming up. Uh, Thad, thank you. It. Thank you for the time. Good luck uh, this season, and I uh, appreciate you hopping on. All right, guys. Thank you. Thad Mata right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Knight and Dean Smith did it, but to his point of, of active coaches. Well, didn't yeah. he throw in there outside the top 100? Wasn't that his caveat? Well, he was saying that for him, neither player he had were David West and Evan Turner. Yeah. I thought for a minute there, would, would I don't know, would Deshaun Thomas have been up there out of Fort Wayne? National Player of the Year voting, or is that probably in a in a high school level? I don't know about in the professional ranks, right? I mean, I oh, would have thought college ranks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry in the in the high school ranks, Deshaun Thomas was extremely highly rated. Um, I, fascinating I, that he would have, you know, obviously that Greg Oden is the number one overall pick in the draft and and wasn't the National College Player of the Year. I, I can't say I'm a fan of letting everyone in the tournament. I'm, Everybody? I'm totally with you on that. I mean, at some point, you can't just be participation. Hey, everybody gets in, and you know the Longwood you University at four and twenty-six. Can you imagine is last year IUPUI taking on Kentucky oh in the gosh. first round. Jeez, pray for the Jack. <laughs> Pay for the metros, right? That'd have been rough. That could be the new uniform. I love when they rock the metros. Oh, I like the yeah. I mean the although. When I was a kid and I knew that and I knew they were the metros, I kept thinking of the bus. That was really? what that was what Indigo was before it was Indigo. It was called the Metro. Well, maybe downtown. should we call them the red line, the purple line? <laughs> Variety jerseys? Well, you know what the, the IEPY can call themselves the red line and then their their season gets suspended every four weeks. Mm, <laughs> yeah. like, you're like, are they playing this week or not? I have no idea. Thought so. Jake is back. Uh, we haven't <laughs> talked a whole lot of Colts Patriots, but we will in the 9 o'clock hour. Right, Mike Gifts Reese. for you guys, too, at some point, by Ooh, the way. I like that. Uh, Mike Reese covers the Patriots for ESPN.com, and Zach Kiefer uh, covers Colts for the Athletic. They're going to join us coming up at the 9 o'clock hour. Pop quiz. We do need to formulate <laughs> that. Uh, we well, we just got a question there. Uh, we got a ticket giveaway. Uh, pair of tickets to go see WWE a week from Friday over at Gainbridge Fieldhouse. You're listening to Kevin Aquari on a real... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. A nice Thursday here in India. Okay, the one thing that I learned, well, I learned a lot in my trip. Halloween in Italy is a huge deal. in term, Not in the terms that we know it, but in Spain... The day after Halloween is All Saints Day, which is kind of like, so everyone goes back to their hometown because November 1st, All Saints Day is almost like a borderline holy holiday where people go back to pay homage to and visit the resting place of their passed on loved ones. So, you know, grandparents or parents or whatever it may be. So everybody goes back home. So Halloween night is kind of like the night before Thanksgiving is to us in the states of like younger people that are all gathering back in their hometown. How you been? I haven't seen right. you in a while. You look great. So I I totally erred, guys, and I apologize. I had planned on going and, and doing shopping on the last day we were there, you know, for the obvious reasons. And I have to, you know, whatever. And, and not knowing that November 1st, like every store was closed for All Saints Day. I had no idea. But did the best I could to bring back gifts for you guys. Now, first off, we'll begin with you. Very generous. Uh, so this made it Kevin, through customs and everything? This did well. 
There are a few things that were left behind in that regard. Uh, did you so, buy the bar that you sent us? You were sending us some... Was that a he chocolate He told me he bar? didn't. I asked him yesterday. No. He said he didn't. Uh, so, Kevin, for for you here... What, now, where is this? Okay. So, did you dress up for Halloween? I did not. Okay. Do you dress up for Halloween? We I dressed as an ugly American tourist. I do not. I think Halloween is a kid's holiday. See? Uh, I, but, I told you. Yeah, I but, knew that. No way. But, Kevin, and I think my timing is going to be off here, but for your son... Next year will really be his first Halloween, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I know that he's now. I think my timing's off. He's probably going to be too big for these. By the, I'm not real good with kid. But if you if you want your son to dress <laughs> up, that is awesome. as a soccer star. Is that a little kit, or maybe what what you'd wear before you get on the pitch? Straight from the FC Barcelona. Look at that prize pack. That is outstanding. I'm going to show this on the YouTube channel. And here, here's the little bag with the FC Barcelona gear. You can picture kind of Lionel Messi warming up in these, right? Oh, man. You know, back, what, 30-some yeah. years ago? I have no idea how the size works. It might be a blanket. I don't that know. That is awesome, Jake. Now, Mark, I then felt bad because I know that you have three daughters, right? Three, yeah. And I know that they like treats from Bucky's, correct? Uh-huh. Six to nine months, and Jake. I, this is perfect. Okay. I didn't know what to get for your daughters because I didn't know, quite frankly, their age variation. And uh, and I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to buy three of anything. No, but I, I know how you. much they like treats from Bucky's, uh-huh. right? So I did the best I could by bringing back lollipops from FC Barcelona Stadium. Boom. So Love here it. you go. You got to catch it. There's your... In a souvenir can, by the way. Yeah, I'm going to keep this can. Uncle Jake right here with these presents. Thank you very much. Most importantly, because we got a minute left before we got to get back to talking sports here. Most importantly, and I have no idea what these are. I I, I don't know. I brought back, Scotty likes his Kit Kats from overseas. I brought that. But here's the most important gift of all. Mark, I need you to I might catch put you. Max in this outfit tonight. Oh, you did buy him. You did buy him. Oh, you did buy him. Now, would you? Uh, did, is it? Is your packaging the one that has the labeling? Why on do it, I Mark? feel like this is a fire mine starter? Said, mine <laughs> this looks like a fire starter to me. Yeah, mine doesn't say it in English or anything like that. Okay, there was one of them. Maybe I grabbed the wrong one. I just this, con autentico. This is the same candy negro. bar that had. I sent you guys a picture. Yeah. The label of it initially just said "What the f," but it was spelled out right. I can't yeah. believe I didn't bring that one back. Maybe they'd sold out of those. Well, because when you showed us to showed it to us, I thought these were like donuts. I that's think what that's they what they like. are, isn't it? Yeah, like little chocolate donuts. I mean, I, that's what they kind of look like I, to me. I'm guessing are they that's crunchy? What they are. I, I, I have up? no idea. Mark, go ahead and try them. I, I have no so idea. So you didn't I, try them? No. So I, I what ate I'm getting into so right bad now. the entire. I was like, you know what? I'm on vacation, man. I ate. Oh wow, they're little like mini ones. Are they like they're like mini cookies, basically? Like chocolate are they like Samoa Girl Scout cookies? Yeah, they're good. Are they any good? No one. Do they, you bought them. Do you they can make have you one. say what the f? <laughs> I took two of them actually. So there you go. Am I supposed to chew on air? Probably not. There you, you go. You this, know what I came across in Rosie's closet? I did have magic. Cuban rum when I was there, by the way, which is very Ooh, good. How was that? It was really Excellent. good of it. Yeah, it was yeah. really good. Um, I was going to put a Notre Dame shirt on Rosie. You know, big game with Syracuse last Saturday. Nice one for the Irish. Um, I came across the uh, the Clemson little dress that you got her. Oh yeah. So do, does she have to wear that on Monday if Clemson beats Notre Dame? Does it she have to her? wear that to school? Would it fit her? Yeah, we, we can put some, you know, long sleeve stuff on. Maybe she'll look better in the FC Barcelona sweatsuit. <laughs> Six to nine months. I think, you know, Max, his percentile isn't very high, so hopefully he will eventually get there. But thank you very much. Oh, there you go. For that. Get There's Uncle Jake. That's right. Here on Kevin and Corey. That sounds creepy. Uh, all right. Colts Patriots conversation coming up. Mike Reese covers the Pats for ESPN.com. They're dealing with some injuries. They have not looked very explosive on offense, uh, but they have won three of four. We'll chat with Mike Reese next here. 
Nine o'clock hour, Kevin and Corey. Now, this song is also the Notre Dame kickoff song, so I'm kind of getting ready for Saturday night when you play this, Mark. Oh, I'm nervous about it, man. Sorry to confuse you. The other thought I had, and Mike Reese covers Patriots for ESPN.com, does an incredible job on that front. He's going to join us here in just a second. Um, I'm looking at this Barcelona jumpsuit that Jake just got, Max, and I'm thinking to myself, he might save American soccer with this. He might be the savior to American men's soccer. T-minus how many you know days what? till the World Cup? I, I decided when I was purchasing that, you're you're relatively obsessed with football, so perhaps this creates in your son an obsession with football, right? Mm. And I have no idea. I don't follow it. Enough. I have no idea. Is FC Barcelona good? Oh, I think they were. I mean, I know that they're like one of the preeminent. Like, I mean, I think at one time they were kind of the Yankees of European soccer. Uh, we when we were in a bar. There was a, a a soccer match on, and it was West Ham. And there was a British guy behind me, an older, and he was rooting for West Ham. And I said, so is that the team that you cheer for? And he said, well, more often than not, it's a, it's a team I cry for. And so he, he's like a lifelong fan because he grew up in the area, and I guess they're terrible. So I decided, you know what, if I'm getting – and Liverpool apparently made a um, coaching change maybe. Or some sort of a change when I was over there because the BBC was all about. They had some commentator on like every hour to break down the change in Liverpool. Well, it sounds like the Colts right now. <laughs> That's exactly what it's. And sounded I guess like. crying about playing a certain team, you would think maybe Colts fans some have done that. Some fellow with, with a Patriots? British accent breaking it all down. Right? I can't believe that. Trade Naeem Hines. Oh God! Colts finally. <laughs> Mike Reese is going to hang up before you. Yeah, the time no, he is. Uh, the Colts were able to finally beat the Patriots last year, but I'm going to guess that rivalry probably. You didn't tell is me Mike was holding on, Kevin all, or, or Mark all that time. Sorry, Mike. A little bit different here than it is in New England. Mike Reese from ESPN.com is with us. Mike, apologies on that front. Good morning. No, not at all. I love the FC Barcelona talk. What's up, Jake? What's up, Kevin? Uh, I- yeah, I know. Mike, I, are you an FC Barcelona guy? Kidding, Not like, at all, but I was enjoying the conversation. <laughs> I was sort of learning something. Have you, you been know? to Barcelona? Uh, never been. Have I, the Patriots played overseas yet? They did. They played They played in London um, 2009, 10, 2012. They were in Mexico in 17. So I've had a, and actually 97 preseason. I remember going to Mexico. So I have had a few of them, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Mike, this is fascinating to me because we were talking about this this morning. And I realized that the Colts Patriots rivalry does mean more in Indianapolis, especially now, than it does in New England. I mean, I get it. But it feels very, pardon the pun here, deflated this year because of the changes that Indianapolis decided to make and just throwing a monkey wrench into their season. Does New England feel the same way? I mean, in terms of the Patriots. Uh, in their navigation of where they thought they were going to be going and where they are right now is New England kind of in the same category. I would say so. It's hard for me to to sort of know where the Colts are coming from, but I'll you know take your word for it based on on how you characterize it. I think in New England, I would sort of say they're right in the middle, fork in the road, and that's why this game's so big for them. You know, this they still feel like they've got the whole season ahead of them. And there's plenty of examples over the years in Bill Belichick's tenure that they catch fire, 
call it, you know, after Thanksgiving when Bill Belichick says that's when the real football season begins, and they go on a run that maybe you didn't see coming. Uh, I'd say the last one would have been 2018 when they won the Super Bowl, and no one saw that coming. So they still feel like it's ahead of them. However, there's been enough bad football through the first eight weeks of the season to know that it could easily tail off in the other direction. He's Mike Reese, covers the Patriots for ESPN.com. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. The Patriots have won 3 of 4, Mike. I guess to kind of summarize things, pretty good defensively, focused on their run game, quarterback play has been up and down this season, and they've got a couple of key guys on the injury list this week. That's well said. I think a lot of ways the similarity we could draw between the Patriots and the Colts is the turnovers. Um, You look at it, both teams have turned the ball over 16 times this season, which leads the NFL. The one thing the Patriots have been able to do is offset those by taking it away 16 times, which is a league-high total tied for league-high. You look at the Colts, they're not taking it away as much, only eight takeaways. So I sort of look at the Patriots' standpoint as they've been able to overcome some of their poor play on offense, giving the ball away, and they need to continue to do that if they can get the win on Sunday. Mike, in Indianapolis, we've seen, you know, if you exclude the Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck eras, you know, we've seen a franchise that has always kind of been looking year in and year out and resetting in terms of quarterback play. New England obviously thought with Mac Jones, I mean, it looked like, in fact, wow, they'd, you know, they'd found their guy just seamlessly in that transition. But quarterback sometimes, it takes a year or two for water to find its level and for you to truly get an idea as to whether or not a guy is a long-term guy. Is New England having that thought about Mac Jones, or is he clearly going to be the guy here moving forward? Have you seen enough now to know for a fact he is reliably the guy? I think there's still some level of doubt on that. And and part of what's happened this year that I think is so important to point out is all the changes around Mac from a coaching standpoint. So much of, of the, to me, what I've learned over the years, or what I believe I should say is, you know, continuity for these quarterbacks is so important early in their careers. And, you know, you see how some of these highly touted quarterbacks come out and then they have a coaching change and they have to learn a new system and then there's another change and the things around them negatively affect their development. And that's been a part of the story for Mac this year. Very promising rookie year. We all saw it last year with Josh McDaniels, the offensive coordinator. Josh leaves to go become head coach of the Raiders. And the Patriots in the past under Belichick have always sort of stayed in-house and sort of stayed with their system from Josh McDaniel, from Charlie Weiss in the early 2000s to Josh McDaniels to Bill O'Brien, back to Josh McDaniels. Well, this year they did something different. While they stayed in-house, they really changed their system. And it was much different. And I think that has negatively affected Mac, or at least caused, um, you know, a, a not for that second-year jump to not happen that you would hope for. So got to see how this turns out and, and how this whole transition affects his development. He's Mike Reese. It's at Mike Reese, R-E-I-S-S, on Twitter, covering the Patriots for ESPN. Mike, I think there's this... 
stereotype. I don't know if that's the right word, but certainly Bill Belichick's resume going up against young quarterbacks is well documented, particularly in Foxborough. I thought Belichick made an interesting point yesterday that some guys that have you know, been able to run at the quarterback position has given New England some problems this season. Um, the history would indicate, though, Belichick defenses usually feast on young quarterbacks with Sam Ellinger making his first road start. So, yeah, and, and I think there's probably something to be said for that. I, the, my counterpoint to that is that I think Frank Reich has had some of the magic formula to know how to get at the Patriots' defense. I think back to the Super Bowl when he was with the Eagles, and and I watched that game, the Colts-Commanders game last week, and I saw some concepts that I think are going to give the Patriots some problems. Sorry you had to watch that, to be honest with you. I can't believe they lost the game, guys. I know. I, I could not believe they lost the game as I was watching it. Well, the stat, and, I don't know if you saw the stat, Mike, and sorry to interrupt. No. Uh, since 2000, the Commanders have been, or Washington's been in 129 such games with a two-score or two-score deficit with five minutes or less to go in the game. They've lost 128 of those 129, and then... Or they've they've yeah lost and they came back to win on Sunday. So very rarefied air. The Colts are usually good at those historical notes for other teams. Yeah, and and so guys, so just to, I'm finished the point, but I want to one thing I saw it in the game. I do think Frank will protect Sam, and they'll play smart and give the Patriots some problems. So I I don't exp- I don't think the Belichick history is as relevant because of Frank's presence. But I want to tell you, just from like looking in from the outside, um, you know, I saw they fired the offensive coordinator, Marcus Brady, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, this offense must be a train wreck. And I thought it was, I thought it was efficient, you know, conservative. I was more shocked at the defense. This is what I wrote down. You're leading 16-7 with 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, and the, the commanders have the ball on their own seven-yard line. And they convert a fourth and six on that drive to get points. And then, 239 left. Colts are leading 16-10, and the Commanders are back at their own 11-yard line. Fourth and two, they convert, and they end up winning the game. I'm thinking to myself, that's more about the defense in this game than the offense. Correct me if I'm wrong, I was shocked at how they couldn't close that out. Yeah, just, I mean, the defense certainly put them in a position to be in it going into that fourth quarter, but no finishing whatsoever. Like you said, the two fourth downs, the Terry McLaurin play, the pass rush was incredibly quiet. And to kind of pour more salt into the wounds, Mike, it's against a backup quarterback in Taylor Heineke. Yeah. Yeah, and and I, I think right now I sort of look like Heineke and Sam, I think, are similar quarterbacks, right? Like they can make some plays. And I think turning that to the Patriots, we were talking about Mac. You know, they, they have Bailey Zappi, the backup. One dynamic Colts fan should be aware of, the last time the Patriots played at home, you might have seen it on that Monday night, the home crowd was cheering for Bailey Zappi, who I think is similar to Sam Ellinger and Taylor Heineke, to take over for Mac Jones. So this is sort of the environment that Mac is coming back into as sort of, you know, turning the, the page back over to him after pulling him from that Monday night game. Um, sort of interesting dynamic here in New England in terms of the belief that some part of the fans even have in Mac right now. 
Mike Reese is our guest. He is an ESPN NFL Nation reporter, primarily covering the New England Patriots. Mike, kind of an old wound here and, you know, maybe a dead topic, I realize. But I do think it's interesting and wanted to ask because I've never been able to ask someone of your um, kind of insider knowledge from New England standpoint about this. When Josh McDaniels accepted and then backed away from the Colts job, there was conjecture within Indianapolis, certainly from a fan standpoint, of maybe he knew that Andrew Luck had hesitation about how long he was going to play, and that's why he changed his mind. Then people said, well, no, he changed his mind because Belichick came and said, listen, you'll get the key, keys to the kingdom if you come here. Then he ends up leaving New England. So is there something to the former there, or was it just one of those things that people are trying to create smoke where there's absolutely no fire? Yeah, and, and I probably didn't do a great job reporting on this at the time, guys. Um, but I, here's what I think the honest-to-God truth is now that some time has passed and maybe some more credible information. Right, because that's how it always works, right? It's kind of we find out after we get yes. through the mayhem, right? We, we yes. can go, okay, this is what happened. Yes. Remember the timing. The Patriots were coming off a Super Bowl. It was late, if I remember. And I, I think Josh was just trying to find more clarity in terms of what his situation was in New England. And in terms of, like, what is not what is my future here, but, like, where, where are we headed here? What's going on? And he didn't know that piece. And once he was able to sit down, and it, it's hard for people to understand, when they're in the season in the playoffs, like, Bill Belichick, that is literally off to the side. Not even a consideration. So once he was able to, to finally sit down with Bill after the season ended or whatever the timing was, I'd have to go back and double-check it, and the owner, Robert Kraft, was part of it, I think he felt more comfortable, hey, okay, I know what my situation is here in New England. And that doesn't mean I'm going to take over for Bill Belichick, but I know how I'm valued. I know that I have a spot here. My family's good here. I think it was more about that, guys than anything related to Andrew Luck, the Colts, or anything like that. Mike, last one for me, and I guess this is kind of a similar exit, um, or you know, leaving Foxborough, that would be Stephon Gilmore last season. Um, obviously, he had a huge play on, on Sunday that went against him, but for the most part, he's been pretty good here in India at the age of 32. Um, what happened there? Was it mostly injury, contract-related? Why did um, they part ways, I guess, kind of the midway point of last season? Yeah, he, he had an injury, guys, and I think there was some um, uh, divergence of thought, if that's the right word, where the, you know, the team was thinking about, you know, hey, let's handle it this way, and I think Steph was thinking about it in a different perspective, and they just sort of agreed to disagree, and there was money involved in terms of whatever he was getting paid at the time, and I think it ended up just being a a, a difference of opinion that probably led Steph, and I'd have to, I want to go back and sort of tidy up the details to sort of just feel like, yeah, you know what, I, I think my time here has maybe reached an end point, and that's what, that's what ultimately led him to, to, to trade him off to Carolina. Mike, in covering the Patriots, and you've done so really for the entire Bill Belichick era, if someone, you know, 35 years from now when someone asks you about Bill Belichick and covering his teams, would you say that his greatest strength or greater strength is taking the players that he has on the roster, and I know that he is responsible for those players being there, but 
Is he better at, at coming up with schemes that match the players he's been able to accumulate, or is he better at accumulating players that match the scheme he has in mind? I, I think it's hard to pick one or the other. Probably the, the thing that stands out is just in the salary cap era, right? Like, how has he been able to stay competitive year in and year out? And so I think it's probably a combination of the two. I don't know how you could pick one or the other. Like, this whole thing got started in 2001 when they got this great free agent class with Mike Vrabel. Use him as an example. You guys know him from the AFC South as a player. He was in Pittsburgh, people forget, and sort of an underutilized guy. And then he comes to New England, and the scheme brings out the best in him. So a combination, right, that being the shining, one of the shining examples. And, of course, it always helps when you have someone like Tom Brady over the years. It would be remiss if I didn't sort of point out the fact that having a guy like that can sort of raise the level of everyone else around him. Mike, I lied. Um, Rivalry-wise here in Indy, it is still Patriots, Patriots, Patriots. Like, definitely number <laughs> one in terms of venom. Where would the Colts fall in the Patriot fandom hatred ranking? <laughs> like, are, is every AFC East team above them? Are the Steelers above them? Or the I, I don't I don't even know like how the Colts are viewed right I now. I love it. I love it. I think um, they'd be a little bit down the line, and that's not to disrespect them. I think part of it is what you reference, guys. Like all the changes there since Peyton you know, left, and then when Andrew retired. So I think because of that, and, and didn't they go a stretch of a, of a few years there where they didn't even play each other? Right. Um, so I think, I think with time, it's faded a little bit. But, so, I, you know, Jets are going to be, you know, up on, you know, like you said, AFC East team's probably going to be higher, Steelers a little bit higher, um, but then the Colts right there. In 2006, the last time the Colts won in Foxborough, did beat New England last year with Jonathan Taylor icing that game here at Lucas Oil Stadium. Mike, I just texted Mike Wells. I said, this Mike Reese is an unbelievable dude. Um, Terrific interview. And, of course, Mike Wells sung your praises. So thank you for the time, and uh, we'll, I guess, see you in Foxborough. I appreciate you guys. And, Kevin, I just want to say I enjoy following you. I always learn stuff on the Twitter about the Colts uh, following you there. So keep it up. I appreciate that, Mike. means a lot coming from you. Thank you. Awesome. Right. And speaking great of Mike a, right there. Speaking of a third Mike, he sounds like Mike DeCourcy. Yes, I could see that. Like, yeah, as he I was talking, I was like, who does he sound like? And I'm like, he sounds exact. His, his voice and his speech pattern are almost identical to Mike DeCourcy. I didn't realize he'd covered the pages for that long. 97, right? Do you see how many followers he has on Twitter, Jake? 335,000. Three, yeah, 378. Okay. 378,000. He picked up 43 grand since I looked. Gosh. That was good. He did not pay eight bucks a month for his verification. Right? No. Not yet he didn't. No, but he will have to. <laughs> do we, now, will we have, do you have to to keep it? Oh, I am not verified. Really? Unverified. Well, eight bucks, Kevin. You think it's worth it? No. Not at all. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing ever. I'm so curious how so that's going to work, though, because then are people going to change their, like, if people do pay the eight bucks, are they can change it to jQuery and, like, they can take your profile picture and then start tweeting out stuff as you? How's that going to work? Are you saying there'll be burners? See where there? there's an issue there? See why that could be a little hairy? It's a good point. I, but, but to we be fair, some blinds, I didn't have to do anything to become verified. 
That's because they said Jake Query's checking in. But I didn't have to verify anything. So how'd you get it then? You just I, one day I woke up and it was like, you have been verified. Hmm. Oh, really? When I changed my Twitter handle, I lost my verification. Um, and then our digital team tried to like send in the, you got to send in some work, I guess. Uh, recently, I think they've made some changes. I, I get, maybe my old radio station did that? I, I don't know. And they sent it in and no blue check mark, but Elon will save the day for me if I give him eight bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that what it is? They probably want you to change get the right radio signal numbers first on your Twitter handle. You might have to change it again. Maybe change the Twitter profile, yeah. too. That would be nice, yeah. Looking at Kevin 15 years ago. Zach you know, Kiefer is going to join us w- here Wait, in wait a couple minutes. weeks before you send them to the stream for a week to make sure that to get verified. You know what I mean? Just yeah, that's probably <laughs> accurate on that end. Uh, let's begin the morning check down with a historic night in Major League Baseball. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Real Muto. Bouncing ball to third. Caught by Bregman. Throw across in time. The Astros have a World Series no-hitter. Four pitchers combined on that. Christian Javier went six, two walks in those six innings. Uh, but outside of that, the bullpen, I think just one walk out of those three guys coming out of the bullpen. So this series is now tied at two, just the third no-hitter in Major League postseason history. Tonight, we will have coverage 8 o'clock here of Game now, 5. Now see, this time I didn't steal your thunder by repeating what you just said. Dusty Baker been the visiting manager <laughs> in two of those three no-hitters. There you Look go. At you. The jet lag is wearing off. That's right. I'm starting to wake up. How long of a nap are you going to take today when the show gets off the air? I've got tutoring at uh, three. Well, when's that stopped you before? Uh, yeah, that sounds like a that sounds like a nap from eleven so, to two. Then, so right? My, my, no, no, my nap starts at three. <laughs> three to when the show starts tomorrow. Uh, Colts had their first practice of the week yesterday. Jonathan Taylor did not practice after tweaking that right ankle on Sunday. That will obviously be one to monitor. Uh, Dennis Kelly, the starting left tackle, did not practice either. I think it's calf and ankle for him. So maybe Bernard Ryman. Uh, we'll see about that. And as far as the running back depth chart, what, Deion Jackson, Philip Lindsay, the new guy didn't practice yesterday, wasn't here yet, Zach Moss, Jordan Wilkins. Uh, Wilkins. I think I'm covering Kevin, at everybody. least Wilkins. I, I guess the question with Wilkins would be this. We know that Jordan Wilkins can be a good player and has been a good player. Yeah, but I, I always the, thought he had nice moments here. Correct. But two years off in the NFL is like 20, right? December 13th, 2020, his last carry. My buddy Dewey's birthday. Um, he wasn't even on an NFL roster, Jake, uh, for the last two months. Mid-August was the last so time. So where was he? He was uh, Memphis. Okay, lifetime or, Fitness? <laughs> Memphis or Nashville. Uh, is his home, said he was training down there. But he got cut by the Titans in mid, uh, mid-August. mid I thought he was a good player here, but again, that was a lifetime ago, right? A little bit different skill set than Naeem Hines, so I'll be curious to see if just Deion Jackson takes on that third down roll. Uh, all right, on the Pacers front, nothing today for them. Sounds like no Aaron Neesmith tomorrow night as they welcome the Heat to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Um, Isaiah Jackson should be good to go um, after he left with that knee injury on Monday. So for the Pacers, it's 8 of 10 at home for them. They've got a Western road trip to end the month of November. Do we have anything else to get to? Well, we haven't talked a lot of college football. There's some whispers, Jake, of Indiana making a quarterback change. I I have heard that, yes. This week. Um, so we'll see if, I believe, is it Dexter Williams, I think, is the freshman? 
they'd be turning to. Uh, similar to the Colts, probably need a little bit more running threat behind the I offensive mean, line. At this point for Indiana, what do you got? Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State, and Purdue left. I mean, but again, do you need to see Bazelak? Leading I mean, receiver towards ACL. So they're coming out of a bye. <laughs> IU is things are going well, right? Right. Yeah. A couple touchdown underdog with Penn State. Purdue has got Iowa. Jake, I've been saying this all week long. If you want next week to be the biggest game your program has had in years, well over a decade, you take care of business with a team that you've done a nice job with in recent years in Iowa. And that can't score any points. And whoever would have guessed that a mid-November game between Purdue at Illinois would be a big one? I was um, texting George Bull. a Purdue buddy of mine earlier in the week. I think next week, if you win, it's the biggest Purdue game since Kyle Orton, Wisconsin. That is fair. Yes, that is fair. Because then Purdue ends with what? Northwestern Indiana? Correct. So if Purdue goes win-win, you are literally the favorite with Northwestern and Indiana to go to the Big Ten Championship. Which would be cool. That would be cool. Very cool. Very cool. All right, pop quiz is coming up. Um, it's a little bit of a combination. Mark Dykton is thrown in. Do you have a WWE have question one. mark? Yep, ready to roll. And did remind- you like the WWE from Italy that I said? I did. I, like I said, I was trick-or-treating with the kids when you sent it, so I couldn't really hear it, so I just assumed it was Spanish. Mark I said he Italian. got a little nervous when he first opened it up. Yeah, because there's a video in your hotel room. And I'm like, what am I about to watch oh, on this boy, thing? This could really get awkward. This could really involve HR. Uh, but no, yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, wow, I'm traveling to Europe. I don't know if I'm turning on WWE TV to, to do that. But I was confused because I was like, technically, what, it was Tuesday there? And Raw hadn't aired yet. So I was like, what are you watching? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I mean, there, there were no, we were just looking for, you know, we're back in the room. We we're just looking for anything in English. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's WWE. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, la, 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 la. it was in Italian. And I'm like, okay. I, Luckily, sure. you, you so I, I have no idea how, I have no, <laughs> I have no idea. Actually, I put in the subtitles and it just kept saying fake, fake in English. That's that's not true. That's all real. <laughs> okay. Uh, we would quiz encourage next. people to give a call. There's, it is a pair of tickets next Friday night, WWE. Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Uh, over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. And that is November 11th. There. I only see four questions here. Uh, oh, I have a Mark, fifth one. Mark's okay. going to add a fifth one, okay. I think, to the pop quiz. Uh, are, you good, are you good at those questions? No, no. <laughs> are you good at those questions? Sure. I, did. <laughs> I We missed Scotty. That's all I'll say. I think they're pretty basic. They are. And if you've been listening to the show this morning, you I, will be rewarded. I think right? we should reward those people. All right, give us a call. 317. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 7239-1070. Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. Substitute teacher action here on the Pop Quiz. I got four of them. Mark has tossed in a uh, WWE question. Yep. By the way, since... uh, I asked it earlier, and I don't think I ever answered it for you guys. We mentioned that Dusty Baker has been the opposing manager in two of the three postseason no-hitters in Major League history. Dusty Baker was also the final out 
when Nolan Ryan threw his fifth no-hitter, which was the record for most no-hitters in Major League Baseball <coughs> history, and I asked who was Dusty Baker playing for at the time. And that correct answer, by the way, is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Ryan was with the Astros. It was in the Astrodome. It was 1981, and Dusty Baker grounded out for the final out of Nolan Ryan's fifth no-hitter. Is that when you broke in? What's that? Didn't you break into the Astrodome? I did break into that. Well, I didn't break in, Kevin. Let's 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 temper there the language a little bit. Uh, I made my entry into the Astrodome, correct, after it had been uh, closed and condemned, by the way. It's time for the pop quiz here on Kevin and Query. Um, again, a combo effort. Jake, at number one through eight for that pair of tickets for WWE next Friday night at Gamebridge. Uh, I'll go with number four. Number Mer- four, that, Quattro. That would be Brian. What's Brian. up, Brian? Good morning. How are you guys doing? Brian, you big WWE fan? Uh, I'm not personally, but one of my friends and his son are really big fans. Cool. Oh, so you can give the tickets to him? Uh, I, I would like to. Man, look at that. Brian, nice friendly uh, thing to do. obviously a friendly fellow. Brian, have you called the program before? Yes, I have. Okay. Have you played uh, this little segment we do called Get to Know Your Listener? We've had wild success with it. People seem to love it. Have you partaken in that before? Uh, yes, I have. Okay. Obviously, we didn't get to know you very well. Um, <laughs> Brian, if you don't mind me asking, uh, are you a parent? Yes, I am. And, and you have how many kids? Uh, two, two girls. And are you comfortable saying their names on the radio, or would you rather not? No, that's fine. Uh, I just thought maybe... Go wanna, ahead, sorry. No, I thought you'd want to say hi to them. <laughs> they're both at school, so they're probably not listening, but uh, uh, their names are Madison and Aver. Now, now, let's be honest, Brian. Uh, they wouldn't be listening even if they weren't in school, right? <laughs> that's a valid point. <laughs> yeah, turn Bluey on. I don't want to listen to this crap. <laughs> what were they for Halloween, Brian? Uh, one was an astronaut, and one was a, a Hocus Pocus character. That's cool. I like that. I saw an astronaut on my Halloween walk, literally in the middle of the street, the astronaut. I'm like, is that astronaut lost? <laughs> you what saw an astronaut? Jake's watching E.T. That's right. A lot of space exploration going on. Uh, Brian, would you like for me, that would be Jake, to lead you off with question number one, or would you prefer that Kevin get you underway here on the pop quiz? Uh, you can go ahead, Jake. Okay. Uh, speaking of astronauts, how many Astros pitchers last night combined for the no-hitter? Uh... One, two, three, or four? Four. Okay. All right. The last Colts win in Foxborough was during a special season. What year was the last time the Colts won in Foxborough? Oh, it was the year they won the Super Bowl, I think, wasn't it? And what year would that have been, Brian? Gosh. Was it, I think it was 2006, wasn't it? Okay. I think how Brian answers with asking for confirmation. Brian, we're going to have to find out <laughs> at the end. Uh, Mark Dykton's... Go ahead. I'm waiting for some Jake Query hints. <laughs> All right, Brian. So far, it's not needed. You're not a WWE fan, so this might not do you any good. But we are giving away WWE tickets, so here you go. Who's the non-wrestling? Who's the non-wrestler facing undisputed WWE Universal Champion Roman Reigns at their Crown Jewel event in Saudi Arabia this weekend? A. Rapper Bad Bunny. B. Social media dude Logan Paul. C. Social media dude Jake Paul. Or D. Boxer Tyson Fury. Uh, I'll go with the boxer, Tyson Fury. Okay. Okay. Uh, question number four. Tonight is Thursday night football between the Eagles and the Texans. 
The Texans head coach who was also stranded on Gilligan's Island is who? Uh, Lovey Smith. Okay. Jay I is, can't wait to see his beer tonight. Jay is our quarterback. Always my favorite when they show Lovey on the sidelines. <laughs> uh, Illinois got a lot better without Lovey Smith, too. Boy, that's, that's certainly point. true. Bielema has done a nice job. Brian, did you listen to the show yesterday or the pop quiz yesterday? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Well, number five here. What countries did Jake just go to on his trip? There's two of them. Please don't say uh, Manchester. Or United Kingdom. Or Brazil. No, I didn't go. I didn't go to Lawrence Central. So. Ooh, oh man! <laughs> wow. You you a Lawrence North grad, Brian? No, I, no, I'm just joking. Um, he went to Spain and Italy, I believe. Well, you better hope you're right after that shot. Well, <laughs> what, what, where did you go to high school, Brian? I went to a small high school over on the West Central uh, called Covington. Okay. Oh wait, Covington. We discussed this. That's where in Covington where the uh, beef the house, house is. Yes, yes, it's where the yeah, beef house right. is. Okay. So is that technically an Illinois high school or an Indiana high school? It's an Indiana high school, but it's right on the Illinois border. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, let's see how he did. Uh, number one was how many Astros pitchers combined for the no-hitter he said four? He was uh, correct. Yeah, correct, though. Colts' last win in Foxborough was during that special Super Bowl season of 06. Yes! I asked, who is the opponent of Roman Reigns at Crown Jewel on Saturday? I said it was a non-wrestler. He said it was boxer Tyson Fury. It's actually social media guy Logan Paul. What a... You blew it! That's the only one that tripped him up, though. Which which Paul is it that is the boxer? That's Jake Paul. And he's actually pretty good, though, isn't he? Now, I mean, you considering who his opponents right? are, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lovey Smith, indeed, and then Spain and Italy for Jake's. Hang on, Brian. You get, I get European. Your Nicely vacation. done by Brian. Nicely done. Seems like a nice. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Dude. Um, all right, Zach Kiefer is going to join us to round out the show. Had a little Patriots conversation earlier on in the 9 o'clock hour. We'll now hear from Zach Kiefer, who covers the Colts for The Athletic, his latest on the offensive line. Zach, I, I know we live in our little indie bubble, but I felt this way the past few weeks. Considering the finances in the group, considering the draft picks in the group, I'm not sure there is a position around the NFL that's underperformed more than the Colts O-line this season. Like in their own little ways, they've contributed to Matt Ryan's benching, Marcus Brady's firing, and Naheem Hines no longer being here. Yeah, you nailed it. It's at the root of every problem this season. And, and I'm not excusing the defense for the collapse on Sunday, but the defense isn't the issue right now. Everything that's gone wrong this season started with this offensive line. And and I think the start of it is, is very obvious. They thought they could essentially force two guys to play positions they are not good enough to play in this league and Matt Pryor at left tackle and Danny Pinter at right guard. But you're right. I mean, we're talking about the guys who got paid. And Braden Smith is a $70 million deal. And Ryan Kelly is a, is a $50 million deal. And Quentin Nelson is an $80 million deal. And those guys have not played at the same level. And talking to Andrew Whitworth, the former Super Bowl champ at the Rams last year, who's now working for Amazon Prime on Thursday nights, he's like, 
you can't just put guys in positions and hope it'll work out, especially at left tackle. And they're on their third left tackle now, and they're playing a backup in Dennis Kelly, who was never supposed to be the guy. And, and the sad part is, is Matt Ryan paid with his job, and that doesn't excuse Matt Ryan's interceptions. But I think the constant pressure got to him. You're starting a young quarterback in Sam Ellinger, just hoping it goes better. And Marcus Brady got fired, and Nike Hines won it out. I want to talk about Zach. I mean, a couple of things. I'd said earlier, to me, the year is just, I'm just disappointed because I'm disappointed because <laughs> they, they, they told, like, I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed because I was told it was going to be better than this. And yet, we're back to square one. Literally, we're back to square one. We, we've tried to put together this couch from Ikea, and we had extra parts laying around. We couldn't figure out what the hell they are, and we just destroyed the. And we're back to square one putting it together. That's how I see it. But to the offensive line, I want to get to this. Is Quentin Nelson regressing, or is he the victim of a bunch of spare parts around him that he can't figure out where they're supposed to go? Jake, I lean towards the latter. I've watched the tape, and certainly there have been plays that he's given up, right? And everyone's freaking out. What's happened to Quentin Nelson? If you watch the tape every week, he looks pretty good. Now, he gave, he gave up some plays the last couple of weeks, but who did he play against? Jonathan Allen is a monster. And then Simmons is a monster as well. And, and you're not going to have 55 perfect snaps against those guys. For, perfect, to be perfectly honest, I think Quentin is the least of their problems right now. Um, the other guy to his right, that's, that's the one that's most confounding to me. I mean, it's, it's not a stretch to say Ryan Kelly was one of the best centers in football the last couple of years. He was a pro bowler multiple times. And there's just no push in the run game right now from the center position. There's miscommunication every single week. That's the one that makes everything harder around it. And then so, so for Quentin, you've got a left tackle that's not very good, and you've got a center who's not very good. And and he's kind of paying the price a little bit, but he certainly hasn't been the elite Quentin we've seen from the last couple of years. And Zach's latest on The Athletic again, a great deep dive into the offensive line. Uh, Andrew Whitworth, among others, uh, chiming in about the Colts situation. I want to go back to that for just a second, Zach. And I think what is kind of confusing to me is the decision that Ballard made at left tackle because we know his core beliefs, O-line and D-line, and look at the investments. I mean, they're heavy, heavy investments at both of those positions, but yet at left tackle, he took pretty much a glorified journeyman, a guy that, frankly, laughed at us when he's, he was talking about the idea of moving to left tackle, who you know wasn't even a left guard mostly. He was mostly on the right side in his career, whether that be TCU in college, Philly, or uh, in Indy last year, and put him at left tackle. That's the one where it's just confusing to me more than anything. Like you know, disagreeing with him at other positions of value, okay, but that is one of the ones that he believes in. Yet he just kind of. For lack of a better term, he kind of half-assed it at left tackle. Yeah, it's not just confounding. It's, it's inexcusable. It's unfathomable. I, I don't understand it. And for a guy that's talked about the trenches endlessly since we got here, since he got here in 2017, um, you know, I went back and, and listened to a lot of the quotes. And, and there's quotes where he says, it's all O-line, O-line, O-line. That's how you win. That's what Coach Reed told me in Kansas City. And, and you're right. I mean, for, for all the talk in the offseason, how many times did we lob questions about not just the O-line, but, but wide receivers, right? Like, what are you going to do with wide receivers? Do you have enough? Do you have enough? 
that's been answered pretty well. Paris Campbell's played well. Alex Pierce has stepped up. Pittman has the drops. But that's not the issue right now. It's like you said, it's just this weak effort to force a guy to play left tackle that's really more comfortable, not even at right tackle, but at right guard. And we lobbed this question to Matt Pryor in the spring, and he almost laughed at us, like you just said. Like you said, I'd be the last guy to think I'd be the left tackle in the Colts right now. And, and Matt Pryor's a nice guy, and I've talked to him a couple times this season, and it just, it's just a fish out of water at left tackle. Right. And to your point, J.B., it just doesn't make sense because that's not a position you can overlook. And they did, and they paid a very, very dear price. Okay, Zach, let's go to Naeem Hines. Um, he certainly sounded like a guy that, that wanted to be moved. Um, do you think the Colts were close on moving anyone else? And based off their lack of activity outside of Hines on Tuesday, does that say anything to you about Chris Ballard's job security? Yeah, Hines, Hines wanted a fresh start. He wanted to play somewhere else. I think the experiment had exhausted itself in terms of every single season. It's we're going to get him more involved. We're going to get him more involved. This year they didn't. I think he was he was tired of that. Um, never said it publicly. He is a team first guy, but I think it's pretty clear that he was ready to, to get going somewhere else. A little surprised that there weren't other moves. I'm not so sure that this team's ready to white flag wave the white flag just yet even though it seems like that might be their best play in, in the long term, right? When this season's over, does it really matter if they win five games or seven games or eight games? Like, wouldn't you just prefer five? So you can climb into that top ten of the draft and, and have a chance at a quarterback. But um, at the same time, who's going to trade for one of these guys? Like, the guys that potentially could be on the market aren't playing well and are highly compensated. Like, you're not going to trade. No one's going to trade for Matt Ryan. And then no one's going to – who's going to trade for Ryan Kelly right now? He's not playing well. I mean, he's expensive. So I just I just can't see many buyers for the Colts players. Zach, I'm going to make a statement, and I apologize for being a broken record here and for dwelling on this. I apologize to our listeners for that matter. But, like, I feel like the Colts are spinning their tires, so I'm just going to keep saying the same thing. But I want you to tell me if I'm wrong, Zach Kiefer, because – you cover this very closely. My concern for the Colts right now is that their money moving forward, if they are doing, and I'll call it a retool. I'll give them benefit of the doubt and call it a retool, not a rebuild. But my concern is that they have invested their money in the positions that just don't mean as much in today's NFL as the other positions on the field. And that they have a lot of money tied up in positions and players that either are not producing for them or are producing in a way that would be really good in 1991. Yeah, no, Jake, you're not wrong. That's a very, very real thing. And I think it's good and it's bad because it's going to get worse because they're going to pay a running back. They're going to pay Jonathan Taylor. You don't let him walk out the door. Whether that comes this offseason or next, I mean, they're going to pay him, which is another factor in that 1991 blueprint. But I will say this. If they get the quarterback right in the draft, then you're paying a rookie quarterback a rookie contract. And there's going to be some growing pains, but my whole stance is this team's next quarterback needs to be drafted by the Indianapolis Colts. This is run its course, this garbage bin, scrap heap, garbage sale, grab someone else's guy that's been there for 10 years. Like, stop using other people's quarterbacks and go get your own. And the other thing is you got, you got some money. They have some money, and you need to spend it on the positions that matter now. And the number one position they need to fix right now is, is left tackle. So 
you need to think long-term about the quarterback position, but you can't keep just finding guys that are not solutions at left tackle. That will help them fix a lot of their problems, I think, on the offensive line. I think Smith and Kelly and Nelson will play better if there's a better left tackle. You can get away with it at right guard. can't get away with it at left tackle. That would solve some issues. But you're right, Jake. They've got a lot of money tied up on the offensive line and the running back. And, and Pittman's not going to be cheap when he's up either. Zach, we got about a minute left. Uh, gut feel on Jonathan Taylor's availability this Sunday? Yeah, I don't think he plays. That's my gut feeling. I think they signed Jordan Wilkins for a reason. So right. get ready for some Deion Jackson and maybe some Zach Moss, and, and I don't even know who else. Yeah, we'll see where Philip Lindsay is at this week. Uh, Zach, great work with that O-line piece. Thank you uh, for uh, being flexible with us this morning. Thanks, guys. Zach Kiefer right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. That injury, Jake, you know, Taylor missed a couple of weeks earlier in the year. Then he tweaks it on Sunday. And how he sat out that first game, remember, it was kind of like his call late in the week. It does seem like this could be a thing where you just sit him down and you try to rest it a bit. Yeah, I, I feel like personally, for the Colts that you are in throwaway mode is the wrong way of saying it, Kevin, but let's be real here. How many games do they have to win right now to win the division? They're about three back at Tennessee. I mean, I mean, the tie is the awkward thing. 14% chance, I believe, to make the playoffs. Stranger things have happened. I, I get it, but as more tape gets out on Ellinger, I, I think he showed some things. Don't get me wrong. I, I liked his moxie against yeah, Washington. I, I thought he had a nice debut. I, I would agree with that. But it becomes a bigger challenge each week as teams figure you out, right? Glass half full, Patriots, Raiders. Those are two teams that have struggled this year. Two teams that are in the kind of same area as you. Is there an opportunity to get back on track? Glass half empty would say back-to-back road games and then Philly. Come to the building. I mean, that does that look like three seven and one when you get hit, hit, hit man hit Thanksgiving? I mean, there are other teams that have been bigger disappointments, but they've been a big one. There's no doubt about it's it. It's kind of wild to think if the Pacers win on Friday, they'll have more wins than the Colts. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the- which for Max is five twenty nine. That's huge, <laughs> huge. Jake Query's back. Great to have him back. We'll talk to you tomorrow at seven a.m.